Hi, everyone on Poker Fraud Alert, and a very pleasant good evening to you, wherever you may be. This is Vin Scully, and while I passed away last year, I felt it necessary to come out of heavenly retirement in order to give Dan Druff and his fellow Dodgers fans a pep talk. I know the team got destroyed tonight against the Diamondbacks, and I can tell you from up here, Tommy and I feel your pain. Friends, I want to tell you about a little four-year-old girl back in April 1950 in the city of Brooklyn. She was listening to the Dodgers on her father's radio and enjoying the green yet eager tones of the team's new radio announcer. In 1976, a four-year-old boy had a similar experience listening to the Dodgers on his father's radio, this time in Los Angeles. And then in 2015, once again, a four-year-old boy was listening to the Dodgers while his dad drove him around L.A. Would you believe that all three of these little kids, set 65 years apart, were listening to the same Dodgers announcer? Yes, friends, I was that announcer in this story. And that little girl from 1950 was Dan Druff's mom. And guess who the little boy was in 2015? Of course, it was Dan Druff's son. It was my honor to provide a mental picture of the Dodgers to three generations of Dan Druff's family. And now I'm here to give thanks to all of you listeners who enjoy listening to Todd's own contribution to the radio landscape. Let's hope the Dodgers can even the series on Monday, but of course you'll know whether they did or not if Dan Druff takes too long to archive the show as he often does. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy Todd taking 30 minutes to tell you what he's going to be talking about tonight. Well, thank you, Vince Scully. I am surprised you came back from your heavenly rest to give this little intro to the show. I'm kind of flattered, actually, because there's a lot of different people that you'd probably want to talk to or networks you'd want to broadcast on. I think they would get a pretty big audience if Vin Scully came back to give a message to the people, and instead he chose this show. So I appreciate that. This is not a huge podcast. This is not a huge live radio show, and it's kind of a niche topic, you know, poker and gambling and just kind of general other topics I throw in there. But I appreciated Vin. That is very, very touching. So thank you. And yeah, it was pretty ugly watching the Dodgers tonight. And uh, after less than two innings had gone by, it was pretty much over. 9 nothing already after two innings. And Clayton Kershaw got one out. So that was a pretty bad game. And like Vin, I hope that they do better on Monday. Anyway, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Yes, we're doing a show here at about 1.30 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time on October 8th. And this is going to be one of these part one, part two deals. And that's because I don't have time tonight to do a, a long show. But at the same time, I do not want to wait until I do have that time because it's been long enough. So this is going to be one of these things where I'm going to give you a list of the topics that are going to be covered on part one and part two. But don't expect all of these to be covered in this episode. And whatever I don't get to in this one, in this part one, I will put up in part two and they will be archived separately. So I'm going to try to archive this one as quickly as possible, especially after Vin Scully mocked me that people are going to know the results of the Monday game, the Monday Dodgers game, which takes place at 6.30 p.m. Pacific on Monday. And here it is on Sunday morning at 1.31 a.m., almost 36 hours before that. And he's saying I won't have it up by then. So I'm going to try to beat Vin Scully's prediction and get this thing up before that game starts. So this way I will prove him wrong. 
And then sometime after that, I will do part two. But I don't have an exact date for you. But it will not be weeks. It'll be days. Anyway, if you want to call the show, you can call me at 775-FRAUD-55. 775-372-8355 is the number. It's always been our number to this show. And you can also text that number at any time. 775-372-8355. And then we have the Mount Charleston line, which can be reached at 702-430-1808. You can't text it, so don't bother to text it, but you can call it. 702-430-1808 is our Mount Charleston line, and that's a separate line into the show. We've also always had that as well since the very beginning of the show. In case you don't know already, Mount Charleston is a mountain, which is about 40 minutes away by car from Las Vegas. So it's a very nice mountain to visit, especially in the Vegas heat. And believe it or not, Vegas has been hot recently. Not summer hot, but it's been over 90 degrees, like around 95 degrees on some days. So it's still kind of warm in Vegas. It's a good place to visit. It's kind of a break from Vegas. It's got a mountain landscape to it, and it gets snow during the winter. We do not have a free roll tonight. I'll try to have a free roll on part two, but no one's going to play this right now. It's just too late, and it wasn't pre-announced, so we're not doing a free roll this time, so don't go look for it. But as I said, part two, I'll try to have a free roll going. I actually just received a fresh $100 bill that was given to me in person from W2Jesus, and I'm going to use that first. I, I'm moving him to the head of the line because he was nice enough to just hand me a $100 bill in person. I was just so impressed by that. So thank you to him. But we're not using that on this particular episode because there is no free roll. But yes, I am in a secret location. I am not in the usual spot I'm broadcasting. And once again, I am broadcasting through cell phone internet. Now, I'm not using my cell phone to broadcast or it would not be as clear as you hear me right now. So you probably can't tell the difference, but the internet where I am staying is so crappy that it is not fit to broadcast this show. So I'm actually using a two-bar cell signal to broadcast this, so just keep that in mind if there are any issues. I did give it a little bit of a test before starting it, and it seems like it's pretty good. If you want to catch the show in podcast form, which is what most of you are going to do, because most of you don't listen live, we are on iTunes, Google Podcasts. The TuneIn app, which actually has a live version and the archived versions, are two listings for us on TuneIn. iHeartMedia, Spotify, and Spotify is very nice because it has clickable timestamps where you can click to the point of the show you want to jump to, and it just jumps there. Bullhorn, which is similar to Spotify, except it also has a call to listen line for the archive, so that's kind of cool. We're not on Stitcher anymore. Stitcher is gone. We'd still be there if it wasn't gone, but it is gone, so there's no more Stitcher. But we are on YouTube now. So I've replaced YouTube, or I've replaced Stitcher with YouTube. And I think that's a pretty good trade. A lot of you wanted YouTube, and I was resisting it because it's a pain in the ass. The the last one we're on is CastBox. Actually, we're also on Amazon Alexa. You just got to say Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio Podcast. But YouTube is a new one. And it's not like I haven't wanted to be on YouTube. It's just all these other podcasts platforms will automatically grab the show using something called an RSS feed. But YouTube does not do that. So every YouTube upload I do is manual. I have to manually upload it and I have to manually convert it 
to video form because this is an audio show. It's not a video show. So I have to stamp the Poker Fraud Alert logo as the video the entire time and convert it to a video. And that takes a while, too. So it's an extra step for me in addition to editing the show, which takes a while. But I've decided to do it because I know a lot of you want the show on YouTube. In fact, I've had some feedback, very positive feedback, that since we're on YouTube, some people have started listening more often because some people use YouTube as their form of entertainment. They don't want to get a podcasting app. They just want to use YouTube. So we're on YouTube, and we will be on YouTube for every show going forward. I'm not going to put the past shows on YouTube. I am posting little clips of memorable things we've done here. I posted the tomatoes on the side story already up there just by itself from 2021. If you want to check out our YouTube channel, and I urge you to do it, go to the channel called Poker Fraud Alert. How do you do that? Just bring up the YouTube search bar and type in Poker Fraud Alert, and you should see our channel coming up. So it's very easy. You can look at our videos. Don't look at the shorts because the shorts are something different. But look at our videos, and you'll see the shows that I have uploaded there, along with the little clips I've uploaded there from our past shows. We might sometime in the future start broadcasting live, but we're not going to do that yet. I'm talking about on YouTube. We always broadcast live, but we're not going to broadcast live on YouTube yet. By the way, if you want to just directly go to a YouTube URL of Poker Fraud Alert's channel, it's pretty easy. It's just youtube.com slash at Poker Fraud Alert. Don't forget the at symbol. So that's youtube.com slash at simple poker fraud alert. YouTube.com slash at symbol poker fraud alert. So that's how to directly go there without searching anything. And then just click on videos and you can play whichever show in the archive that we've posted since September 2023 that you want to listen to. I do want to ask that whether you use YouTube or not to please go like and subscribe to the Poker Fraud Alert channel and of these videos, especially subscribe, because basically once we get to enough subscribers and once we get enough listener hours, then Google is going to start paying me to do this show because we will be monetized. We're not there yet, but every like counts, every subscription especially counts, and every watch hour, meaning how many hours people spend watching it counts. So if you don't want to use YouTube, I'm not going to pressure you to do that. You can use whatever you want. That's why we're still going to be on all the other podcasting platforms. But I do want to beg you that if it's not too much trouble, at least subscribe to the Poker Fraudler channel. And if you can listen to the show through YouTube instead of the other platforms, at least for the moment, I'd appreciate that as well. Again, no pressure. If you don't want to, then don't. I won't be mad. But I'm just telling you it'll help because... Once we get past that threshold, and then I will start getting money for the views that we get. And that would be nice, because this show runs at a loss. Not a huge loss, but nevertheless, it runs at a loss. It's never made money. I haven't really tried to make money, but this would be great to just get money from Google, who owns YouTube, just for doing what I'm doing anyway. So that's part of the reason that this show is now on YouTube, and part of it is because people want it. We have a chat room. If you're listening live, you can be in the chat. I mean, we don't have a lot of live listeners, but if you want to go in there and chat with anyone else that might be listening live, you can do so. You won't run into a lot of people at this time because it's the middle of the night. And I know some people are 
trying to get some sleep before NFL Sunday. But if you're around, you may want to come to the chat room. And if you do want to call the show, please wait until we have kind of a break in between topics. Just call in at a natural point. Don't call up and interrupt when I am speaking because you know, I'm kind of on a roll. I don't want to have to be interrupted by phone calls. And if it's not topical to what we're talking about, then especially wait until we're done or about done with the topic before calling in. And by the way, if I don't take your call, don't keep calling over and over and over. I may have to block your number from calling the show, and then I will forget to unblock you, and you'll never be able to call again. So you don't want that. By the way, if you are blocked, you can still text us. I never block anyone from texting. I just block from calling if I get hassled with too many calls at once. All righty, so... I'm going to give you the agenda, and then we will get going. Remember, there's no free roll. First, I will tell you why it has been more than two weeks, actually more than three weeks since we were last on. I have a good reason. Then we're going to have as our top story something that has not been discussed very much in the poker or gambling community, at least not recently, at least not this recent update to the story, and it really, really needs discussion. This is actually something that should be a big story and is not yet, and I say yet because it might be soon partially via my doing. But uh, at the moment, it's not a big story, but it needs to be covered. And that is BetMGM is once again having major issues with people's accounts being breached and money being stolen. I mean, how many, how, how many times is this going to happen? When are they going to put a stop to this? It's, it's the same crap over and over. It's not exactly the same as last year when I was victimized by it. And by the way, I wasn't victimized this time, but others are. But they have not closed all the loopholes, and I will explain. It's very, very frustrating. So hopefully a fire will be lit under BetMGM's ass very soon, and they will take care of this. And I bet you're wondering, oh, This must have to do with the recent MGM Resorts hack of last month, right? I mean, it has to. Uh, Not so fast. I will give you my opinion on that. Then we have an update to the Rob Mercer story. Rob Mercer has confessed. Rob Mercer has admitted that he faked the cancer. It's no longer allegedly. It's no longer assumed. It's no longer deduced. He has admitted that he faked the cancer diagnosis, that he does not have colon cancer. He does not have stage four colon cancer like he claimed in order to get these stakes. I will tell you who he confessed it to, and I will tell you what happened after that, including this becoming a national news story, and not just national news in poker or national news in sports, but national news in the mainstream. All thanks to that confession. That'll be our next story after that. Then we have a much smaller story, but one I find interesting. Nobody's covering except us. And that's why you should always check Poker Fraud Alert, both the show, this radio show, and the forum, because you will find stories like these which are not covered anywhere else in poker media. And when I say anywhere else, I mean anywhere else. We really cover a whole lot of topics, including many that will not be touched by other outlets. And that's why I get hate sometimes, because I cover things that people don't like me covering. Or I do it in a way that people don't like me doing it. But I think it's important to cover stories big and small, as long as they are interesting and informative and sometimes things you'd want to know. This one, I think, lands in the interesting category. And that involves a Vegas grinder named Rachel Whetstone. And she 
is not that well known in poker. I'd heard of her before, but she's not like a big name. And she has been around for many years. She's cashed as far back as 2012. And she stole $7,300 from her backer, which is known as Standard Backing. That's the name of that backing operation. After she won a tournament back in August. And again, this is not alleged, just like I said with Rob Mercer. This one's not alleged either. She's admitted to it. But the question is, might there be more to the story that also might make standard backing not look totally innocent in this whole thing? And she did steal the money. But there's more to the story. So I'll tell you what I know so far about this whole Rachel Whetstone situation. And by the way, we might have her on at some point. We don't have a hostile relationship with her. We have an okay relationship with her, even though we're reporting on this situation. So that may be something in the future as well. Poker Fraud Alert listener and poker personality Bart Hansen had a very tragic thing occur to him. His dog was killed by a scammy trainer, someone who pretended to be a dog trainer and claimed they'd be training his dog, and he paid a lot of money for it, and in reality, the dog was killed by this trainer. So it's a very sad story. I will tell you about it. Not sure if we'll have time to get to that on this part one, but at some point, either part one or part two, we will cover that story. And I feel very bad for Bart in this whole thing, and that also made national news. We have a number of things we're going to talk about that either are national news or might be soon. Then we will talk about something that was also national news, but not recently. It was national news in 1998, and that is Mojave Desert and Las Vegas history. I got a good reaction to our last segment we did about Owens Lake and Mono Lake. So we're going to try to do some more Mojave Desert and Las Vegas history segments on this show. I kind of got away from that for a while, but it's always been a segment people like. So this time it's going to be Las Vegas history, and it's going to be about the 1998 murder of Ted Binion and the weird stories surrounding it. Then we're going to talk about a good old Nigerian scam. Yes, a Nigerian romance scam that targeted three women in other states. But these romance scammers weren't looking to steal from the women. They were looking to use the women to help them steal $1.45 million from the Clark County, Nevada school district. And guess what? They were successful. This story has not been covered very well. I think it was the Las Vegas Sun that did an article about it, or 8 News Now, something like that. I forgot which outlet, but some Las Vegas news outlet did an article on this, and it was awful. It was very, very difficult to understand. So I broke it down, I researched it, and I wrote a clear article about it on our sister site, Vegas Casino Talk, which I also own. And we're going to cover it on the show, so you'll understand. It's a very interesting story. I think it deserves more press than it's gotten. A Treasure Island bartender in Las Vegas is accused of stealing $8,000 from the resort with the little scheme he came up with. I know we recently covered an employee at the Aria that stole over $750,000 who was a front desk manager. This is a bartender who's now accused of stealing $8,000 from Treasure Island. So a lot of these employees, apparently, of these Vegas strip hotels and casinos... I guess they are uh, a little bit larcenous. A lawsuit claims that a roulette ball at the Gold Coast Casino hit a player in the eye 
causing permanent damage. I bet you never feared the roulette ball popping up and hitting you in the eye when you've been to a casino, right? Well, apparently this happened, so I'll tell you about that lawsuit. Then an interesting story. Someone who was banned from a casino and kept sneaking back in there and had been banned like eight times managed to win a jackpot. Not a huge jackpot, but one that was big enough to where the machine had to lock up and they had to receive something called a hand pay. And then they realized that this person was not allowed there and he'd been banned a lot of times. So did he get paid? I would have guessed no. But Nevada Gaming decided to rule on it. I will tell you how that ruling went. Finally, Rio is no longer a Caesars property. It's been owned by someone else for some time now, for a few years, but it was being leased back to Caesars and it was operating as if it were a Caesars property. So to the customer, they could not tell that it had different owners. Well, now you can definitely tell because it is no longer a Caesars property in any way, shape or form, and your Caesars reward card will not work there anymore. So again, I don't know how many of these will do before I get too tired. I did wake up pretty early today, and I'm not going to have a ton of energy to go very late into the night, but we will see how far we get. So with that all that said, I'm going to start our first topic. So let me tell you about why radio has not had any episodes since September 16th. I have been struggling for the last two years with gout. And it hit me really hard in December of 2021. See, in October of 2021, I started getting these elbow problems where at one point it got so bad that if I put my elbow down on any surface, even a soft surface, it would feel like people were sticking needles into my elbow. I could not rest my elbow on any surface when I was getting gout attacks on my elbow. And it happened on both sides, but it was only my elbow. Now, this is very unpleasant, but it got much worse because in December of 2021, I got gout in what has to be the absolute worst place to get gout, and that is on my ankle and back of my foot. That, that area right there is where I got the gout, and what ends up happening when you get gout there is that you can't walk. Okay, so I shouldn't say that you always can't walk. But if it's a really, really bad version of gout and it shows up there, then you cannot walk. So in December of 2021, I could not walk when this happened. It was very disturbing. I felt my leg was hurting. And then I noticed when I got out of bed that it hurt to walk, but I was able to walk. It just hurt. It was sore. I didn't think much of it. And then the next day it was hurting more. And when I tried to get out of bed, I couldn't stand on that leg. I had to actually hop on one foot over to the bathroom to go to the bathroom. And then I had to get crutches to move around the house. I could not walk on that leg no matter what I did. It felt like the leg was broken or the foot was broken. It hurt that much. Like you could not put even the slightest bit of pressure on it or it would just kill me, sharp pain. So I could not walk. And this went on for probably like five days. And I I went to a number of doctors, and finally the swelling started to go go down. The swelling was pretty bad, too. The swelling started to go down, and uh, it was diagnosed as probably but not sure gout. Anyway, I think one more time I couldn't walk, maybe for one or two days shortly after that. And then since then, I've gotten gout attacks, but it's kind of never progressed past the point where it just hurts a lot, but I can still walk. 
So really, I believe in all of 2022 and up until the end of September of 2023, I did not have any gout attacks where I couldn't walk. So I had the elbow thing, I had the foot thing, but I could still manage to walk. The not being able to walk is awful. I, I don't know if this has ever happened to you guys. I don't know if you've ever broken a leg. I don't know if you've had other problems where you just cannot walk, but it's terrible. You just don't know how important it is to walk. You don't know the full extent of it until you can't walk. And then everything becomes an amazing chore. Going to the bathroom is very difficult. Getting up from a sitting position to go get something you need is very difficult, like something out of the refrigerator. Just every little thing you want to do becomes an ordeal. So it really sucks. I did not take any medication for gout because it actually had a counteraction with aspirin, which I take a lot of because I get tension headaches, and that's the only thing that really works, the tension headaches. So it's not something which is dangerous to take with aspirin, but it's something where they will counter each other's effects. So I don't want that. So I said, okay, look, yeah, I had some pretty bad attacks at the end of 2021, twice where I couldn't walk, but it hasn't happened since then. So I'm going to turn down this medication, which is something that you take to prevent a gout attack. It's not something you take during an attack. There's a different medication for that. But I just said, I don't want to take any of these because it's just not bothersome enough to get on a new medication. I'm someone who just really doesn't like to take medication unless absolutely necessary. Because there's always a downside to it. Anyway, I did know that if these attacks were happening frequently, I would have to anyway, because gout can eventually do damage, permanent damage. So you don't want to just let it keep happening out of control, even if you can go on and tolerate it. So I thought maybe at some point I'll have to handle it. But fortunately, in 2023, I had a better gout year than 2022. So not only wasn't I getting a situation where I couldn't walk, I just wasn't getting it as often. And when it did appear, it would go away pretty quickly. Well, that all changed two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I woke up on Wednesday the 20th, and I noticed my foot was hurting. My right foot was hurting. The same spot. I knew what it was, the same gout. And it always starts when I'm waking up. I've never had gout just start in the middle of the day. It always starts after I have been sleeping. So I'll go to sleep feeling fine, then I'll wake up with gout. Or I'll go to sleep with some gout pain, and then I'll wake up and it's horrible. It, it always worsens while I'm sleeping if it's going to worsen. And I found out the reason for that. I didn't know this before, but apparently when you're completely still, that the uric acid crystals settle into your nerves, and then you wake up and you've got all the pain when you attempt to walk on it or anything else that you move that has been affected by gout. So it's one of these things that the lack of motion really makes the whole thing worse, which is different than most other things that are painful, that usually resting them is good. With gout, resting is very bad. Now, you don't want to put too much activity on them either, because then that could make the whole thing worse as well. But it always starts while you're sleeping, at least this type of gout in your feet, like the back of your feet, like where I was getting it. That almost always starts while you're sleeping. I read that, and that's exactly what happens with me. So on Wednesday the 20th, I felt some pain, but it was something I could tolerate. Thursday the 21st was a different story. I could not walk. I said, oh, no, not this again. And I had a feeling it might be coming because I was having trouble sleeping, because my foot was hurting. 
And then I tried to get up and go to the bathroom, and oh boy, the pain was so horrible. It was so sharp. It was impossible to put weight. I had to hop over there, and I had to get the crutches again. And all of Thursday, all of Friday, which is the 22nd of September, I could not walk at all. On Saturday, I started being able to walk, but painfully. And same with Sunday. By Monday, there was enough of an improvement to where I could still feel the pain, but I could walk now without bad pain. And then it started getting better and better. Now, I know you're going to laugh at this, but I got a suggestion on what to do about this gout from none other than Trader Ruski. He said that the solution to gout, for him at least, is to drink cherry juice. Now, I googled it, and believe it or not, there is some belief that cherry juice works. And it was a specific cherry juice that he was getting at Trader Joe's. So this is not just like an old wives' tale. It hasn't been studied enough or proven yet, but it's not something that's just complete BS. It's something that the initial studies on it show that it might have a benefit, but they just haven't done anything that could prove it yet. So I said, all right, well, it's something cheap and harmless to try. What's the worst that's going to happen? So I tried it, and it did improve, but it also was already on the way to improving itself by that point, so I don't know if the cherry juice worked. But I'm going to be trying it again, because I identified what is very likely the culprit for bringing on this gout. And that is one of the blood pressure medications I'm taking, called hydrochlorothiazide, which is a diuretic. It's a water pill. And apparently that will cause gout if you're already prone to gout, as I am. It won't cause gout in everybody, but if you're prone to gout, then it's going to cause gout in a lot of people. So apparently that's fairly common. And it kind of matches up because I think I started taking that hydrochlorothiazide sometime in in 2021. I think that's when I started that. I was taking other blood pressure medication before that, and I was having trouble getting the blood pressure down. So it makes sense that the gout started coming on around the time I was taking that medication regularly. So that's an issue because I need my blood pressure medications because I have high blood pressure. But then if I take them, it brings on gout, which is also bad. So what do I do? Well, I could probably go take this medication for gout called allopurinol, and maybe that will hold it back, and then I can continue with the blood pressure medications I'm on. But I'm also considering switching blood pressure medication and seeing how that goes. Now, I got off the blood pressure medication entirely for almost two weeks, and then I started having some weird things happen. My blood pressure shot up, which that part's not weird. That I expected. But I started getting some weird headaches that kind of scared me. So I'm like, you know what? I think I better take these again. So I decided to take the medication again, and then sure enough, the gout is coming back, and I'm now walking with a limp. So I can walk, but uh, not the way that I'd like to be able to walk. So hopefully I can get all this squared away soon. I'm going to try to drink some cherry juice. I don't have it with me right now. I'm going to be obtaining it, though, soon. I'm at a secret location, but I'm going to be obtaining the cherry juice, trying that. Traderski said you have to guzzle it. You see, you can't just drink the cherry juice. You have to guzzle the cherry juice. All right. But you may say, hold on a second. Are you telling me you didn't do this show for over three weeks because your foot was hurting? What does this have to do with your voice? You weren't sick. Why didn't you do the show and just sit down? 
You don't have to stand while you're doing the show. Well, that's a good point. But I had a second thing happening. See, Benjamin came home from school with a cold, a pretty bad cold. It kept him from school for a number of days. It was a pretty bad cold with pretty severe symptoms as far as colds go. And I said, "Uh uh-oh, that's the last thing I want right now when I'm dealing with this gout. Well, guess what happened? I caught the cold. So I had at the same time this gout and the cold. So that was it for radio. I could not do radio when I had a cold. And especially not the cold and gout at the same time. And it was also making it difficult to sleep. I wasn't getting very good sleep with these two things going on at once. It was kind of uncomfortable and I was having trouble falling asleep or it would actually sometimes wake me up either with congestion or pain. So that wasn't good either. So I just didn't have the energy to do this show. Then when I did have energy to do this show, I had to leave and go to the secret location where I am right now. So I was unable to do the show in those days. And finally, tonight, I said, enough is enough. I'm going to do the show. Now, I said that yesterday. I didn't announce it, but I was going to turn on the show last night around this time. But I just got really tired. I'm like, you know, I don't have the energy for this. So I just went to bed instead and figured I'd do it today. But then today I had some stuff to do, so I didn't have time till now. So that's where we are. That's why the show was not done in all this time. But I'm going to try to fire out two episodes, part one and part two here, within the next few days. This being part one. Okay, so let's move on. I want to cover the MGM topic, the bet MGM topic, not just MGM. It's a very different thing. They're both MGM companies, but we're not going to talk about the MGM resorts hack. I mean, they've got most of that back to normal. If you want an update on that, there's not that much to say. It's, it's not chaos there anymore, but not everything works great. There are things that just aren't working properly. They're still trying to get all this back in full working order, but that is not going to be the topic tonight. We're going to be talking about BetMGM. BetMGM is the sports betting app that's associated with MGM resorts, but it is run on a completely different system. And all you can do with it, to my knowledge, is bet sports. Maybe you can also play casino games in some states. I don't know, but uh, it's not important. It's mainly to bet sports. And it's an app. You can't make reservations with it. You can't really do anything related to your MGM stay if you're at an MGM property. Not with that app. This is only a betting app. And from what I can tell, it was not affected by the MGM resorts hack and ransomware and extortion attempt that was done last month. It seems to be on a completely different system and was not affected, at least not directly affected. So it's important to understand here, this is not an update on the MGM Resorts hack. This is more of an update about BetMGM's poor security practices that date back to last year. Now, let me refresh your memory from October. And you may say, what? What do you mean refresh my memory from October? Today's October 6th. How much memory could there be at this point? I don't mean October 2023. I mean October 2022. Yes, just about exactly a year ago, though I didn't know it yet, $10,000 was stolen directly out of my bank account. I didn't discover it till November, 
but I think the date was like October 22nd, something around there. Someone withdrew $10,000 from my bank account through the BetMGM app. And that was really strange to me because I did not and still don't have a BetMGM account. So what the hell? Why is BetMGM taking $10,000 out of my bank account? So when I looked into this, I found out the unfortunate news that someone had set up a fake BetMGM account in my name at BetMGM West Virginia, which I didn't even know existed. So they set up this fake account as me, deposited from my bank account to this fake BetMGM account, and then immediately withdrew the $10,000 to Venmo debit MasterCards. And then they made off with the money from there. The Venmo debit MasterCards were important because that was the exit strategy. Because they made the account in my name, and they took my money from my bank account, but everything's still in my name. So they need to get my money somehow. There's no point for them to just make a deposit in my name, in an account in my name, if they can't get the money off. Then it's just money sitting there that I could just get back myself once I discovered it. So the whole point of this is to steal. So they had to find a way to get the money off. And the trick was to withdraw the money to a Venmo debit MasterCard. And they did. And they made off with most of it. Venmo froze the account when it seemed suspicious at some point, but they got away with most of it. Now, I didn't find this all out instantly. I did a lot of investigating and prodding myself. And I came to the conclusion that what had occurred there was that the fraudster set up this account at BetMGM West Virginia. And West Virginia is one of the states where sports betting is legal. So there are BetMGM apps in Virginia. Each of these BetMGM apps are different and separate for each state. So if you have one BetMGM account, let's say in Nevada, that doesn't give you a BetMGM account everywhere. It's just in that one state. So someone knew that I have no association with West Virginia, don't live close to West Virginia, and are unlikely to set up a BetMGM West Virginia account. So that's why they chose West Virginia. And then they made it in my name. They knew my last four of my social, and they knew my date of birth. They probably got this on the dark web somewhere, or maybe an insider gave it to them, whatever. But they had that information, and that was all they needed. So they used my last four digits of my social, not even my full social, my last four digits of my social, my date of birth. And then they deposited to the new account on the same day, $10,000, using a service called VIP Preferred, which is run by a company called Global Payments. VIP Preferred is a service that allows you to deposit to gambling sites from your bank account, and Global Payments processes this, and once you have a good history with them, they will give you credit instantly. It's like an e-check. So they're basically giving you credit that this deposit's going to be good, and then they immediately load this into your account. So Global Payments is the one managing this. And the way the fraudsters were able to do this was that once they had the correct last four of the social and the correct birth date and the correct name of the person that's associated with those two, then if they go to deposit using VIP Preferred, then VIP Preferred says, oh, well, you must be the same person 
because you created an account with the same last four of the social on the same date of birth and the same name. So there's no chance you could be anyone else, right? So we don't have to verify anything. Here you go. You can deposit using that person's bank account at whatever limits they had when they really did do deposits in the past, and we won't verify anything. (laughs) Like, how stupid is that? They do no verification. Now, if you're a new VIP preferred customer, they really do a lot of verification. Then they put you through the ringer. But once you've made a successful deposit using VIP preferred in the past, which I have for WSOP.com, remember, they serve a whole lot of different gambling platforms. So once you've used them successfully in the past, all they need to do is see that this info matches, and then they don't verify it's really you. So anyone who knows this info could create this fake account and deposit as you. So that's how they got the deposit to happen. That's how they stole the 10K out of my account. But you may say, okay, well, that's global payments fault. They're the payment processor. They're the ones who messed that up. And I would agree. But hold on. BetMGM allowed that person to withdraw the entire 10K on the same day they deposited without playing anything, without betting anything, and to a completely different account. Like, how does that not raise any security red flags? A new account is made, a $10,000 deposit is made, nothing is played, they don't ever attempt to play anything on the site, they're probably not even really in West Virginia, in fact, I know these fraudsters were in San Diego, so they definitely weren't in West Virginia, and then they withdraw to a different account, can you believe it? And no security check. Somehow, this is not a red flag. Like, can you think of anyone who'd actually do this? who would deposit 10K, not bet, withdraw the same day on a new account? All this is on the same day the account was created. Withdraw the same day to a different account? Even if you want to say, okay, maybe somebody deposited and then thought better of it and just want to withdraw without actually playing. They wouldn't then withdraw to a different account on the same day. They'd send it back to the same place it came from. Not these people, because this was fraud. And somehow their systems did not catch this. So more than 50 known poker pros were hit this way. Why? Because it was assumed correctly by the fraudsters that known poker pros probably played on WSOP.com or some other legalized poker or sports betting site and probably have fairly high limits. And they were right. Look, they got 10K out of me. So almost everybody hit with this little scheme was a known or semi-known poker pro. And we covered this extensively last year. I really put a lot of effort and zeal into that one because I was one of the victims. That's one of these stories that had it occurred to anyone, I would have covered pretty heavily. But this one, I especially was motivated because I was victimized personally. The way this came to an end was it got a lot of publicity. Thanks to guess who? Me. And I'm not just trying to toot my horn here or brag about things I don't deserve. This was because of me. I'm the one who publicized this all over Twitter. I'm the one who pushed not only the poker media, but the mainstream media to cover it. I went on some bigger shows than mine and warned everybody about it. I went on Matt Berkey's show. I went on Joey Ingram's show. And of course, I did it with this show. And I was tweeting this, and I was asking people to retweet it. I got more than 300,000 views on my tweet about this. 
And eventually, it did make it to the mainstream media. In fact, it was on the front page of ESPN.com at one point. Now, when that happened, that's when global payments, remember the payment processor, that's when they really got kicked in the ass. That's when they said, whoa, 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 look at this. An article on ESPN.com on the front page that's saying we're incompetent at letting people steal, which they were. So they got very worried and they did something to make it tougher to at least somewhat close the security hole. And by the way, it was very tough to get them to take me seriously. It was very tough to get BetMGM to take me seriously. I would tell them, they'd say, we'll call you back. They'd say, security will get a hold of you. Never happened. Nobody wanted to talk to me. I tried to tell them what was happening. They didn't want to talk to me. Well, boy, did they want to talk to me once that ESPN article came out, because I was named there. So they did not want me to be able to go around to the mainstream media and keep telling everybody that I'm out $10,000 and global payments and the BetMGM will not refund me. So on a Saturday, I get a call from a manager at Global Payments who says, oh, 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 do you have your 10K back yet? I go, no. Oh, well, how would you like it? We'll send it right now. How would you like us to send it? We'll send it any way you want. Come on. It's like they really, really wanted to give me back my 10K at that point. So I said, okay, well, yeah, send it back. So I told them how to send it back, and it was sent back very quickly. But that's because I made such a big deal about it, and it was appearing on ESPN. And I asked the guy, I said, serious question for you here. Be honest with me. Are you calling me now on a Saturday morning and offering to do this so rapidly because of the ESPN article that just came out naming me as one of the victims? And he said, actually, yes, he admitted it. He said that they had a meeting because this is a publicly traded company. So he had a meeting with other managers much higher than him. And they're saying, shit, what do we do about it? We, we, we can't have this ruining our business. So one of the first orders of business there was refund Todd Wittellis so he stops going around to mainstream media and telling them how he's out 10K and they won't pay him back. So this way, when I'm asked by the media in the future, then I will say I got paid back. So that was the reason that they really, really wanted me to be refunded. Unfortunately, with everybody else, they didn't treat them with such urgency. And in fact, some people were getting obnoxious collection letters after they submitted a complaint through their bank that this was fraudulent, which it was, and they got the money back through their bank. And then Global Payments said, hey, wait a minute, your bank clawed back the money. Now you owe us the money. So send it now or we're putting it on your credit. And they also put that if you don't want that, you have to go through all these heroics to prove this was fraudulent. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? This is bullshit. Because they know at this point what happened. They know these people were hit the same way that I was hit. So they shouldn't have to go around and get things notarized and fill out affidavits and make police reports. They shouldn't have to do any of this shit. Global payments should realize that this was all the same people with the same IPs, with the same MO all around the same period of time in like a month and a half period of time, which I tried to warn them about earlier and they wouldn't listen to me, and then just give it back. Why are they putting these victims through the ringer? They didn't make me do all that shit because they just wanted me to shut up, which I didn't, by the way, but they wanted me at least not to be able to say anymore that I wasn't refunded. But I will say this. It did stop around mid-November. By like, I don't know, November 17th or something. I put an end to it. And when I say I, I mean it was me. Because 
they weren't taking it seriously at all. They weren't changing anything. They were not acknowledging this. Nobody was calling anyone back. Nobody was getting any response when they were trying to object about these charges. Because, as I said, I wasn't the only victim. There's tons of other victims. But when I forced all this media attention, that's when they jumped to it. They admitted it, and so did some BetMGM reps who spoke to me, that this is what kicked everybody in the ass to get this going and stop it. And sure enough, it stopped. And apparently, there were even some arrests in San Diego. I'm still trying to get the info on that. They're very difficult with giving me this information. When I say they, I mean the San Diego County Sheriff down there. But there were some arrests about this. It was a San Diego fraud ring. And I don't know why I was chosen as one of the victims. I would think I'm not a good person to choose. I mean, I was good from the standpoint of that I had $10,000 of limits there to deposit and steal. I guess that was good, that I'm not a low-limit player, and they figured I wasn't a low-limit player. But it's not good because I figured out everything they were doing. <laughs> the, the guy who runs Poker Fraud Alert is not a good idea to... It's not a good idea to victimize him with fraud unless you want him energized to come after you and figure out what you're doing and shut the whole thing down, and that, that's what I did. So the whole thing shut down way earlier than it would have because of my intense interest in it. And, you know, I don't like to take credit for things that I didn't do. I even told you recently with the Rob Mercer story, which we're going to talk about tonight again, that when I was getting all this credit for breaking it open, I said, no, that wasn't me. That was Snoop Dogg who did it. That wasn't me, even though a lot of places have saying it was me. So I'm not just going to go along with it if people say it was me, if it wasn't me. But this one was me. The Bad MGM thing was me. And the poker world acknowledges this. Even some of my detractors and haters will say, well, yes, you know, Todd's this, Todd's that, he's an asshole, he's this, he's, you know, like, they'll say all these horrible things, but yeah, he did do some good things last year with BetMGM. Like, they'll even, like, begrudgingly admit that that's true. So, the reason I'm telling you all this is not because the anniversary's coming up, but because it's happening again. Fortunately, not to me, but it's happening again. So, let me tell you what's happening now. So, I started getting reports from people in September, that they were seeing things happening to their BetMGM accounts that are kind of similar to what was going on last year. Except the difference was, these were not fake accounts that were being created in people's names, like what happened to me and what happened to these 50-plus other poker pros last year, but that instead, existing BetMGM accounts are being breached, and then money is being withdrawn to, yep, you guessed it, debit MasterCards and debit Visas. Not always Venmo debit MasterCards, but uh, some of them are Venmo, but some of them aren't. But it's, it's the same concept. It's just debit MasterCards and Visas, which can be used for withdrawal on BetMGM. And then the fraudster makes off with the money. So people's accounts were just being broken into, and then whatever money's in there is withdrawn, and similar to last time, once they're in the account, then they use global payments to deposit also, especially if there's not much money in there. Let's say they get into an account that has zero or it only has a few bucks. Then they will go to VIP Preferred. And if that person's used that before, then they'll just pull the drop down there and, and select the bank account that was used last time and deposit that way and withdraw it again to the debit MasterCard, debit Visa. So similar scheme, except here they're getting into existing accounts rather than creating new ones. Though I did get a report that someone had a new account made in their name. But this is actually someone who had an active BetMGM account with money in it as well in a different state. So I don't quite know what was going on there. But for the most part here, the MO has been 
to break into existing accounts, which is why I wasn't hit, because I don't have a BetMGM account. I never did have a BetMGM account other than that fake one that was made last year. So yeah, they're going after existing accounts. And this has been reported by Las Vegas Locally, which is similar to Vital Vegas. It's like a Las Vegas news and gossip Twitter account. So they were covering this. And on uh, October 3rd, and by the way, I heard about this long before October 3rd. I have a few people that were messaging me, not anyone I knew, like just strangers who knew that I had something to do with exposing the last bit MGM scandal last year. They contacted me and were sending me screenshots and they were proving to me pretty conclusively that they were getting money stolen from them via their existing accounts. But on October 3rd, Las Vegas locally tweeted, check your BetMGM account today. And then they showed a screenshot of a Facebook group called MGM Rewards. Someone must have started that. It's not official, but you know, someone who just uses MGM Rewards must have started this group. I'm not a member of it. I probably should be, but I'm not a member of it. And then a person named Pat Ellis posted, check your BetMGM accounts. The hackers have now begun draining the BetMGM accounts and accessing your tax documents. Now, the latter part I don't believe is true, but let's go on. My balance was wiped out in front of my eyes. The phone number was changed to the hacker's number, and the money was sent to an unknown Visa card. Hmm, sound familiar? I was informed by MGM that they will not do anything to assist in the recovery of any funds or any information regarding the thieves. Good luck to you all. Okay, so let's break down Pat Ellis' statement. Now, I don't know Pat Ellis, but I do believe this happened to him. I think the tax documents thing is just an assumption on his part. I don't think that the hackers are after that, and I don't believe they were doing that. I do believe they got into his account. I do believe they withdrew his entire balance. I do believe they changed his phone number there. It'd be funny if the way they do the two-factor authentication there is after the phone number's changed. (laughs) I don't know if that's true or not, but they did change his phone number, and I believe that. And I also believe that MGM support was not helpful, because that's what everyone's telling me. I've had a lot of people telling me that they chat with MGM support, and they're either just given the runaround or told, hey, we're going to check into and get back to you, and then just never get back to them. Or in some cases, even tell people, sorry, this is a valid withdrawal. Sorry, you're not getting any more money. So like they're just in denial that this is happening again. And I, I believe it also went to a prepaid Visa debit card, which Pat Ellis doesn't seem to understand. He just thinks it's an unknown Visa card, which I guess it is, but it's actually a prepaid uh, debit Visa. He's also probably right that they will not give any information regarding the people who did it. And I ran into that same frustrating situation with both Global Payments and BetMGM, where I said, I want everything. I want everything on this fake account, which I kind of browbeat out of some reps who weren't supposed to give it to me, but felt bad for me and did. And it wasn't easy. Like, I had to spend a long time convincing him to do it, like, piece by piece. But the one thing nobody would give me was the IP address of the fraudsters here. And why wouldn't they? Because it's violating the fraudsters' privacy. (laughs) And I said, what do you mean? The account's in my name. I'm the only Todd Wittellis in the country. Really, I'm the only Todd Wittellis in the country. I think in the world. So I guarantee any Todd Wittellis on there is me, and definitely any Todd Wittellis with his date of birth is me. 
and that last four of my social is me. So I can prove it's me, and I can do whatever you need me to do to prove it. You want me to go to a notary? Fine. Like, I'll do whatever the hell you want to prove it's really me. And once I prove it's me, why can't you give me the IP address on what's supposed to be my account in my name that deposited $10,000 of my money and then withdrew it? Why can't you give me that IP address? And they said, because it's violating the privacy of the person who did it. (laughs) Insane. So looks like Pat Ellis there ran into that as well. But don't worry, folks, it gets worse. Someone else told a similar story. Someone who's uh, under it's underscore just in time, ITS underscore just in time on Twitter. They wrote, BetMGM, my account was hacked within the last four hours and all money withdrawn to five different accounts all over the country. Also, a mysterious Visa card has been added to my account without my knowledge or consent. I need answers ASAP. Yeah, you do. (laughs) Then someone else named Brett Forrest, who's Brett Forrest 89, that's Brett with two T's, Brett Forrest 89, tweeted, Anyone else get a lot of these two-factor authentication requests in September when you weren't even signing into accounts? Nine attempts. So what was happening was Brett Forrest actually had two-factor authentication activated on his BetMGM account, which apparently you don't have to have, but he did have it. So the hackers were getting in with his username and password, but they were not able to get in because they would have to send him a text for him to enter the code, and they didn't have access to Brett's phone. So they tried like nine times. I, I don't know why they tried nine times, but they tried nine times. He just kept getting this code over and over, and he wanted people to be aware of this. But the problem is most people did not have this enabled. So this did not happen for others. The, the fraudsters got in for others. But that was going on as well at the same time. I'm sure it's related to the same thing. So then I posted my very strong theory as to what I thought was going on there. I believed it was a credential stuffing attack, and I'll get into what that is shortly in case you don't know. So then some skeptical person on Twitter said, what is your source? So before I could answer it, a source presented itself. A person named Anthony, who is S-A-I-R Jordan 23, S-A-I-R Jordan 23, it's like S-Air Jordan 23. He writes, I can be a source. That exact thing happened to me. I live in Arizona. My hacked my account was hacked. A different deposit method was added, and funds withdrew from two different states, Ohio and Colorado, attached to the transaction history for proof. My account was then terminated. That's pretty involved. That's more involved than what happens to most people. But I'll tell you what a screenshot say. His screenshots show that they were actually transferring his funds to his, quote, Ohio account and his Colorado account, which he didn't really have. So this is a new wrinkle to the whole thing that they were making fake accounts, but instead of depositing in his name, what they were doing was uh, they were transferring money out of his regular account in Arizona to the BetMGM Ohio and BetMGM Colorado platforms, which I guess you can do now. You can actually transfer to other states uh, that are also BetMGM. Then they were withdrawing to the prepaid debit card. So that's even more sophisticated. But it's all along the same lines, right? Yeah, they took a few extra steps with this Anthony guy. 
But what is the exit strategy? What is the way they get the money off? Because without a way to get the money off, this is useless. They're not going to do it. They're not doing it for fun. They're not doing it to aggravate people. They're not doing it for revenge. These fraudsters are doing it for one reason and one reason only, and that is to steal money. And if they cannot get the money off the site, then everything else they do is useless, and they'll just give up. So the one thing that's in common is that they withdraw to prepaid debit, master, and Visa cards. That's what they do. So wouldn't you think, after this happened last year, wouldn't you think that BetMGM would actually take some action and say, hmm, let's look at this from a very, very simple common sense standpoint that a 10-year-old could even conclude if he were to look at the situation. The thieves are changing someone's withdrawal method from their default bank account to some new account that's put on there, which is always a debit MasterCard or debit Visa. Now, it is true that BetMGM and Global Payments don't have a way to be able to tell if these are prepaid debit Master and Visas or if it's just some regular bank account. It's very hard for them to tell on their end. Okay, fair. But wouldn't it raise a red flag when someone changes the withdrawal method and then withdraws, wouldn't it raise a further red flag when the IP address that's being used is different than the one the person usually uses? So when this happens, there's a very simple way to stop it. When somebody changes the account they're using for withdrawal, there should be a security check. Number one, at the very, very, very minimum, there should always be a 2FA check where the two-factor authentication is used, but maybe some customers don't have it set it up. But what they should do is they should say, okay, we're processing the withdrawal. We have to do some verification checks. And then the person should be contacted at the email address that they registered originally, not what it's changed to by the hackers, but whatever they registered originally. And then, or at least the, the, the email address that was last used before all this activity occurred. They can determine what is probably a good email address and then email the person who owns the account and say, you need to prove this is really you. And there's a lot of ways to do that. Send a picture of yourself holding up your ID, whatever it might be. There's a lot of different ways that are industry standard to do what's known as a know your customer procedure. I won't go into all of them because it's not important, but there's a lot of ways to do it. So they should immediately go into know your customer mode when the withdrawal method is changed because they're not going to go withdraw back to that person's own bank account because it doesn't do them any good. It goes right back to the person who owns the account. They want to change it to a prepaid card that they control. And if they can't do that, this whole scheme falls apart. And not only that, there's no way out of it for the, th for the fraudsters. They cannot come up with anything new because if they cannot change the withdrawal method without triggering some kind of tight security review, then unless they really have a lot of information to impersonate that person, which is going to be very, very, very difficult, then this is not going to happen. But BetMGM doesn't do that. Someone gets into an account just using the username and password, and the person never set up two-factor authentication, so that doesn't stop them. So all they need is username and password. They get in. 
they just go in and change the withdrawal bank account to a prepaid debit card. They hit withdraw. They enter the amount for the whole balance. And BetMGM says, okay, duh, here it is. Here it is. We're not going to ask a single question here. Here you go, sir, at your new account that we never verified. Can you believe this shit? How is this a regulated site? How is this a licensed and regulated site in the U.S. that they're allowing this? This is basic stuff. If someone changes the account that the money's being sent to, someone logs in, changes the account, hey, hey, send all the money to this account now. Why don't you stop to check it? Why, why not stop to make sure the person requesting this is really who they are? Think of it like in banking. Think in banking if someone could just call up your bank and say, hey, I'm, you know, whatever your name is, can you just send all my money to this other bank? Can you just send that right now with no verification it's really me? That's basically what's happening here. Unbelievable. And this happened last year. It's bad enough this happened last year. This shouldn't have happened last year. This wasn't one of these super clever and creative things that they can only think about fighting against after it occurs. This is something that should have been in place at the very beginning. This is just very, 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 very basic security stuff when it comes to keeping someone's money protected. You don't let them change the withdrawal account, the exit account, without making sure it's them. That's super basic because that's the way the money gets off. If the money doesn't get off, then it's very recoverable. Then it's very easy to undo whatever the fraudsters are trying to do. Once the money leaves the site, it becomes much more difficult. So the fact that this happened last year, the f- embarrassing failures on the part of Global Payments and BetMGM was crazy. Global Payments with just letting people with the last four of the social and the date of birth just access previously used bank accounts to deposit is crazy. And BetMGM allowing the withdrawal to take place to an account that just was changed without verifying that the person requesting it was really them. That's also crazy. But it's the craziest that a year later it's still happening. But you may say, wait a minute. Why is it happening a year later? Why did it stop in mid-November of 2022? I thought you put a stop to that, Druff. So maybe you didn't really do anything, Druff. Maybe you're just puffing out your chest and pretending you did. Well, I don't know the exact procedures that global payments took to stop this and what BetMGM did to stop this. But I know it stopped. The reason I don't know exactly what they did is because they wouldn't tell me. I asked them, they wouldn't say. And their excuse was, well, we can't tell you because if we tell people, then they'll know how to get around it. So while we trust you, we just can't tell you you're not just in the company. You know, So I'm like, what, what can I say? I can't compel them to tell me. But it did stop. So what's different now? Well, it's the way they're getting in. Instead of creating new accounts to do this, and I guess they did create some new accounts for this other guy, this uh, S Air Jordan 23 guy, Anthony, but they created them to transfer the money from the existing account in Arizona. It looked like they needed to do that for whatever reason on that one instead of just adding a prepaid card there and withdrawing. Maybe there's some quirk to the Arizona site to where it's harder to do that there. Because by the way, each state is different. Like in Nevada, you don't see this happening. That's why I have not told you any stories about BetMGM Nevada, because this does not happen. Because BetMGM Nevada has stricter regulations they have to adhere to that are put down by the state of Nevada, by Nevada Gaming. 
So that's why you're not hearing of it in Nevada. So it's very possible that Ohio and Colorado are much more lax, and that's why the Arizona one sent over there. That's just a theory of mine. I don't know if that's true. The way they're getting into these accounts is actually pretty simple. It's called a credential stuffing attack. And that sounds more complex than it really is. Credential stuffing is just very simple. You get a big master list of email and password combinations that people have used. And when I say people, I really just mean people. Because sites are getting hacked all the time these days. And when they get hacked, often what happens is the hackers will download whatever they can. And the info they get is often including email and password combinations. The email is what you log in with as your login name. And then the password is the password the person chose. So once they unencrypt that, if it was encrypted in the first place, then they have all the email password combos used on whatever site or app it was. Now, this doesn't necessarily have to be a gambling app or something having to do with MGM. Just any website or app that someone signed up with that is hacked, this information will be obtained. So either the hackers themselves will collect this and use this themselves for other attacks, which I'm going to describe in a second, or they sell it on the dark web to those who want to buy these lists and use them for their own nefarious purposes. It happens both ways. So what can be done with this information? Well, what they're looking to do is try every other website and app that they're interested in and see if those same email and password combos will work on other sites and then they can get in and use them to steal. So for example, let's say someone on BetMGM, their email is johnsmith12 at gmail.com. And let's say everywhere they use the password bigsun778, all lowercase. Let's say that's just, they do this everywhere because they want it to be easy to remember. So every site they sign up for, they use that same johnsmith12 at gmail.com email address, and every time they use bigsun778 as the password. Well, then one of these sites gets hacked, and this ends up on one of these lists. Well, then whoever buys this list, or maybe the hackers themselves who got it in the first place, will try on a lot of different sites the email password combos, including this one. And if they get in, then it saves it to a different file saying, hey, this is one that we've been able to get into using emails and password combos we already know from previous hacks. That's how it works. And this is all done in automated fashion. You don't have someone like banging these out on their keyboard. They write bots to do it, and the bots can do it very quickly to where millions of these can be tried within a short period of time. So that's how they hammer all these sites. And then they have a list of good email password combos that work on other sites, even if those sites themselves have not been hacked. Now, you can say, well, that's the fault of the user. This John Smith 12 guy, he shouldn't have used the same password everywhere. Well, I would agree. But you know what? People do. So once someone gets in on their account, that doesn't just mean tough luck on them. Whatever happens, happens, and they lose out. That's not fair to them. It is required and it is expected that these companies, especially gambling companies, especially regulated gambling companies, have some level of their own security to protect users from their own negligence. It's very, very important. And BetMGM does not have that. 
So first of all, if this describes you, if you're kind of lazy about emails and passwords and using the same combination everywhere, don't. Go on sometime very soon, and wherever you have the same password, change it, even if it's a slight difference. So let's go back to John Smith here. JohnSmith12 at gmail.com, who uses the password BigSun778. Well, let's say he goes through his list upon hearing my warning, and then changes every password to be slightly different. So he goes to the next site, makes it Big Sun 779. The next one, Big Sun 780. Next one, Big Sun 781. Next one, Big Sun 782. Now you may say, come on, that's stupid. Anyone can figure that out. And the hackers will try this and they'll get right in. Answer? No, that won't happen. Why? Because that's not the way credential stuffing attacks work. Because what happens if it tries an email and password and it does not work, it doesn't keep trying similar combos. It just moves on. It just says, oh, this one failed, move on. That's how the bot works. The bot does not try really hard to get into one account. It has millions of accounts to try. So it will try one, it fails, it moves on. So just making a slight change in your password will stop these. That won't stop all attacks, but it will stop these credential stuffing attacks. The only way these get in is if you use the same email and password combination on multiple sites. And every person that has been victimized recently by this BetMGM hack has been someone who uses the same email and password on other sites as they do on BetMGM. I verified it with all of them. Some of them were a little embarrassed to tell me, but I said, look, I'm not judging you here. I just need to know this for research purposes. And I'm not going to shame any of these people or say who they are. And, you know... Even if I did ever post who these people were, I'd get their permission first and have them understand that this will be known about them. But there's no point to even post who these people are because I've verified it with multiple people it's happening and there's various people responding to Las Vegas locally saying it happened to them. So I guess you could see their names. But yeah, that's how it happened is that they used their email and password on BetMGM on other sites that have been hacked in the past. And then the hackers use those to get in and BetMGM is so crappy It does not do any two-factor authentication check unless the user has already set it up. And even worse, it lets them change their withdrawal method to a different account that is controlled by the fraudsters, which is horrendous. Horrendous to do that without any kind of verification. That's where BetMGM is incredibly negligent. I mean, not just negligent, incredibly negligent and stupid and naive, and they didn't learn a goddamn thing from what happened a year ago. And I'm not exaggerating. This is infuriating to see. So it didn't happen to me because I don't have a BetMGM account. But why am I so mad about it? Because I was victimized by this shit a year ago. I still have fallout. Like, I can't deposit to WSOP.com anymore without bringing cash to the damn cage because they've turned off all my deposit methods because of this shit happening. So I'm still suffering because of this. When I want to play on WSOP.com when I'm in Vegas, I can't. Unless I have to run down to the cage and I'm not always at a Caesars property, which makes it more difficult. So after all this, after all the work I put into this, they're still letting these prepaid MasterCards and Visas to be used to withdraw stolen funds in accounts that are easily breached, that they just are doing nothing to stop. And when the people complain to support, they don't get any help. In fact, sometimes they're told, nope, it's a legitimate withdrawal, too bad. It's crazy. So I've decided to do something about this. I can't do anything as a victim because I'm not a victim this time around. And I got my 10K back from a year ago. So I can't even say I'm a victim a year ago. I was, but I've been made whole 
at least from a legal standpoint. So what can I do? I can't sue them. But I'll tell you what I can do. I can publicize this until BetMGM does the right thing and changes their procedures. So I have been in contact with some mainstream media over this. And I'm going to be in contact with some more mainstream media about this. But over the past few days, I did speak to some mainstream media about this. They were interested. Now, whether an article ends up being produced, I don't know. That's up to the editors of this mainstream media. But I did speak to some mainstream media reporters about this. And I will continue to. And if anyone from BetMGM is listening, there's a very simple solution. Stop allowing this crap. It's very simple. And if you don't understand how to prevent it, then contact me and I will tell you how. I mean, I just told you how on this show. But if you still don't understand, seriously, contact me. Text me, 775-372-8355. Or email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com. Exactly as it sounds. So you can contact me or use the contact us form on pokerfraudalert.com at the bottom of the screen. If you are with BetMGM and you want to understand this better, I'll be glad to tell you, consulting fee, I will, for completely no money, have a phone call with you and explain how you can fix this. Now, if you'd like to also hire me to help you fix it, I'll do it, provided it's not too much trouble for me. But I'm not asking for that. You don't have to pay me a penny. I'll have a free phone call with you and I'll explain what you can do to stop this if you don't understand. And if you do understand, just go do it because you owe this to your customers. The fact that this is happening a year later in a similar scam is so maddening. And I'm sure you can hear in my voice how pissed off I am about this. This should not be happening with legalized and licensed and regulated sports books in the U.S., this is the type of thing you'd expect out of rinky-dink, crappy little offshore sites that don't give a shit and aren't really regulated. You guys are regulated. People trust you. People think their money's going to be safe, and they're being victimized. A year later, it's still happening. So, I don't know what's going on with the security at BetMGM, but they got to fix this. If you have been victimized, or if you know anybody else who has, you can feel free to contact me or have them contact me, and I can try to help. I can try to tell you what to say. I can try to give you some phone numbers I have. No guarantees it'll work, but I can give you some information so where you can make yourself more difficult for them to ignore. Because I want to see you get paid back. If you've noticed, when I hear stories about people getting screwed by companies, I want to help them get paid. I want to help people get what's rightfully theirs or get back money that was stolen from them. And I'll put some time into it. To help people. I can't make it my whole life to advocate for people, but I, I can give you some help. So feel free to contact me if you're one of the victims of this or if you know somebody who has been. But this is serious stuff here, and it's not getting much coverage. And I think some of the reason it's not getting much coverage is because it is being conflated with what happened last month. And that was such a big deal, what happened last month, that this is just like a minor element that the mainstream media thinks is attached to this. So when I spoke to the mainstream media, I made sure they understood that while it's not impossible, this has to do with a hack, and it's true this began right after the hack, I just don't think they're related. Now you might say to me, well, why don't you think they're related? It did begin right after the MGM Resorts hack, and it is possible that they got 
email and password combinations on the MGM Resort site, and wouldn't those people be likely to use the same email and password combo on BetMGM? So wouldn't that be a good way to do it? Well, yes, but let me tell you the reasons I don't think it's the same. Number one is not their MO. The groups that hacked MGM Resorts are extortionists. They use ransomware to extort money out of companies. And they're looking for seven or eight figure payments, millions or tens of millions of dollars. You know what they don't do? They don't go into accounts of individuals and steal hundreds or single digit thousands of dollars from people. And that's what's been happening here. They're just hitting regular folks for relatively small amounts of money. Not small to these people. I'm just saying small compared to what these hackers were going after MGM and Caesars for, which is like tens of millions of dollars. So they're not going to go from tens of millions of dollars they're trying to get out of corporations to, oh, now let's steal $500 from Joe Blow, the sports better over here. That's not what's going on. I also had an interesting question from the mainstream media, by the way. They asked me, Who's the victim? Who's the primary victim here? Is it professional sports bettors or is it recreational sports bettors? And I said, ah, that's a good question. And the answer is it's recreational sports bettors. And that's even more annoying because these are people who are just betting for fun and are probably going to lose anyway. At the very least, give them a chance to really play and, and maybe win, but you're stealing from them on top of it. And when I say you... I mean the fraudsters, but I also mean BetMGM, who's not stopping it and not giving the money back when their own negligence allows it. But let me get back to why I don't think it's the same as this hack from a month ago. So one of the reasons, of course, is that the MO doesn't match and the money being stolen is orders of magnitude smaller. But also, the systems have nothing to do with one another. Also, you don't need to hack the same company's site to do a successful credential stuffing attack. Those can be done with data gotten from any site. So it could have been another gambling site. It could have been just sites unrelated to gambling because they try so many of these so quickly with their bot. It's very easy for them. They just start the bot. They let it run for some time and you know, they, they check it a few days later and it's, it's got a lot of these. So they don't need to hack an MGM site to get into BetMGM with these email password combos. They can get those email password combos in many different ways, so they don't need it that way. And furthermore, remember, these started in September, shortly after the MGM Resorts hack. But remember, they were still trying to get ransoms out of MGM, even after MGM initially refused it and tried to get the hackers off. So the last thing they're going to do at that point, when they're trying to convince MGM to give them $30 million to reverse all this, the last thing that these hacker groups are going to do is say, well, while we're waiting for MGM to decide, let's steal $500 from this recreational gambler over here. There's no way they're going to do that because once MGM sees that, they're going to say, well, forget it. You're you're already stealing from our customers. We don't want anything to do with you. So what these groups want to do is assure these companies that if they pay up that everything gets reversed as if it all never happened. All the damage is undone. The last thing they're going to want to do is steal from this company's customers. And then once the ransom is paid, oh, yeah, sorry, but uh, yeah, we already stole from some of your customers. Like, there's no way. That's not their MO. So they were still pressuring MGM to pay up when these were already happening. So that's one of the biggest reasons I don't think they're related. I think it's just coincidental timing. 
But unfortunately, the media reporting on these, and even those that aren't the mainstream media, even like ones like Las Vegas locally, which are pretty sharp with things like this, but this is the type of thing where you really have to know it all very well to understand it's a separate matter. You really have to delve into it. You have to have a technical understanding of it. And you have to also understand the MO of the hackers last month. And if you don't know that stuff, and if you don't know about credential stuffing attacks, if you don't know all those details really well, you're going to come up with the wrong conclusion that, oh, okay, well, they're getting bit MGM too. I mean, it sounds like a logical leap from one to the other. I'll give them that. But that's the reason this isn't getting as much attention, is because the MGM Resorts hack was way bigger, way more consequential, affected way more people. This is small potatoes compared to that, I'll admit that. So this is just like a small little after-effect, they think, to the MGM Resorts hack, and it's not. It's an extension of what happened last year, maybe by different criminals, but it's an extension of what happened last year with BetMGM, not MGM Resorts. Same company, but totally different. It's very important that this is understood. So I'm trying to get this understood. I want to see this changed. I want to see the players protected. And MGM should want that too. But MGM should want that too. They shouldn't want this happening either. I'm sure they don't. But it is. So I will give you any updates as far as any coverage of this in mainstream media. I will also give you any updates if things are improving. And we move on here. And we are going to talk about Rob Mercer and an update on that. So if you remember, we covered a lot of Rob Mercer stuff on this show about a month ago. Rob Mercer was a guy who appeared really to most people. I mean, he'd been around for longer than this, but most people became aware of him earlier in 2023. The first person he was actually responding to was me. I didn't like bring him up or I didn't introduce people to him, but he was just some guy on Twitter who saw me fighting with Jamie the Fay about her cancer GoFundMe because I found some lies in the GoFundMe, as we've talked about before, and I didn't feel comfortable with people donating money to Jamie if there were elements of the GoFundMe which weren't honest. Even if her cancer was real... I say, look, if you're not going to be honest in your GoFundMe asking strangers for money, you don't deserve any money no matter who you are. So that was my position with Jamie, and there was a lot of battling over that, and I won't rehash all that again. But Rob Mercer appeared not too long after all that began, and he basically said, look, I've got worse cancer than Jamie does. I've got terminal stage four cancer, and nobody's given me anything. So why are you giving to Jamie, who may or may not have cancer, And if she does, it's definitely not terminal stage 4 cancer. She's not even saying it's terminal stage 4 cancer. So why are you all giving it to her? And why don't you ever give men money who are in the same position? That that was basically his question. Now, at first I thought this might be someone who's just acting entitled. Like, hey, I saw you gave this girl with cancer money. I have cancer too. Give me money. Now, while it's very tragic that someone who's young has cancer, and he was 37, so... Yeah, it's very tragic if someone who's 37 has cancer, especially terminal cancer, but that doesn't automatically mean they get money. There's a lot of people with cancer right now, including young people, and they're not just getting handed free money by strangers. So while he had a point that she probably was getting money, at least until 
I brought up the issues with her GoFundMe. She was getting money at, at a fairly rapid rate. She raised like 17K very quickly. He, he did bring up a good point that a lot of that probably did have to do with her being an attractive female. But at the same time, he doesn't automatically deserve money, even if that is unfair. Yeah, there's a lot of times in life things are unfair where certain people have things done for them for kind of shallow reasons. I wasn't sure what to make of his first tweet about that. But then I thought much better of him when a player from his area who went by Snoop Dogg, and you've probably heard him in the Twitter spaces if you like to listen to those. So Snoop Dogg, who saw that he lived close to Rob Mercer in Northern California, offered to put Mercer in a few local events over there for like 300 bucks each. And Mercer was very gracious and said, you know, thank you very much, but I have to turn it down. I don't want to take handouts from anybody, so I'm going to have to decline, but I really appreciate the offer. You know, maybe we'll meet sometime and have a beer. So I thought, oh, that's a nice response. And that also allayed some of my fears regarding, is this Mercer guy even legit? Or is this just some guy who came up and says he has cancer, hoping he'll get money too? So I'm like, wow, he got, he got offered money, and he's turning it down. He could have been staked to local events right there in his area, and he turned it down. And then like one other person offered to stake him too, and he also turned that down. So for the moment, I thought, okay, this seems like a good guy terrible but the whole cancer thing now i haven't verified it so you may, i guess there's a chance he doesn't really have cancer i thought at the time but you know why would he make this up why would he make up the as cancer and yet not accept money from people if you're here to lie and scam you would think he would take the money right there but instead he was turning down more than one person offering him to put him in events so okay that was nice so i thought i didn't ever talk to him directly I responded to him on Twitter a few times, but I never talked to him directly. I never promoted him in any way. He never came on this show. I never offered him to come on this show. But, you know, after the whole Jamie LaFay thing died down in March, there wasn't really much reason for me to continue paying that much attention to Rob Mercer. I mean, yeah, I felt bad for him, but there really wasn't occasion to really talk to him or follow what he's doing. And I heard him appear on Spaces a few times, but again, there wasn't anything that notable, and I just didn't think about him very much, because why would I? Well, what happened was, on June 17th, he suddenly changed his tune and started to go fund me, where he was asking for an entry to the WSOP main event, which is $10,000, plus like $2,500 in expenses to travel there and to stay in hotels and eat and whatever. So he wanted twelve five from the community, which is very, very different from what he was asking for initially, which is nothing. In fact, he was turning down stakes before. Now, all of a sudden, he wants 12500 to play the main event. So right then, I was suspicious. Right then, I'm like, oh, no, not this. <laughs> this is kind of what I was worried about. But I can't say anything because I took so much shit over the Jamie stuff. And with Jamie, I had verifiable proof that she was lying about some things. I didn't have any proof she was lying about the cancer, but I had proof she was lying about other things in the GoFundMe. And my point the whole way is you just can't give money to people starting a GoFundMe being dishonest about things. But even though I could prove these things, some 
idiots didn't want to hear this and just really, really, really gave it to me in a very, very nasty and aggressive fashion and very persistent, too. It wasn't just like they said that they didn't like this and then went away. I mean, people just every day harassing me, insulting me, saying just awful and nasty things about me that weren't true, making up stories about me, just awful stuff. These were just randoms. These weren't people I knew. These weren't even known people in the poker community. So I went through this for like seven weeks. I finally just got tired of it. Very stressful. And uh, Slay Dog, who did this along with me, kind of separately, like we weren't together in the whole thing, but we were of the same mind about Jamie. He felt the same way. He thought after the whole thing with Jamie, okay, you know, like I'm not doing this shit again. If I see someone I think is starting a suspicious GoFundMe claims they have cancer, I'm not getting involved this time because I got so much hate. Like both of us independently thought that without even discussing it with each other. So anyway, then the shit hit the fan with Mercer in August when Snoop Dogg got suspicious about a number of things and questioned Mercer, and Mercer gave very poor answers, and it became more and more clear that Mercer was probably lying about the cancer the whole way. And there were some other things that happened in between. One of the things that was very suspicious was that when he was out in Vegas during the main event... After he'd busted, actually, he wrote this ridiculous tweet that he was just sitting in the casino, minding his own business, and a pretty woman in her 40s came up to him and said that she was a former porn star and that he was cute and that she was horny and wanted to have sex with him and wasn't going to charge him anything. (laughs) And this is not a guy that would get a woman approaching them and saying that. This is not a good-looking guy. This guy is very overweight. He's a lot of missing teeth. So, first of all, this doesn't even happen to good-looking guys. You don't have this, like, porn stars approaching random dudes in the casino saying, oh, I'm horny, let's go have sex. Like, even to good-looking guys, this doesn't happen. But someone who looks like Rob Mercer, no chance. So, when he tweeted that, people were like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Something's weird with this guy. Maybe he's not telling the truth about other things. But then, like a month later it became pretty likely that Rob Mercer was lying about it, but there was no smoking gun proof. There was a lot of circumstantial evidence, enough to where everybody could conclude he was lying, and I was confident that he was lying. I would have been absolutely shocked if Mercer was telling the truth. At one point, he tried to defend himself with this like rambling, long message that he sent to somebody who then reposted it about everything going on. He acted all insulted, that people were doubting him, and that they're going to be sorry when he's dead in a few months, that they doubted him in the first place, and that he thought these people were his friends, how can they betray him like this, blah, blah, blah. But the message was like one super long run-on sentence, and the logic he was using was crazy, and he was claiming that he just uh, decided not to fight the cancer when he got the diagnosis. Just so many ridiculous things in this explanation that made no sense that everybody knew he was lying. Like It was one of these things where the explanation was so dumb and so nonsensical that he would have been better off just disappearing into the sunset and never saying anything. It's one of these things where he's not going to convert anyone with this. Like Even the dumbest people are going to look and go, no, 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 he's lying. <laughs> he's not going to trick anybody with a thing. It just makes people angrier. That was where we left it last time, about like a month ago. We also had on, as an interview here, another person who got staked to the main event, who cashed, by the way. Rob Mercer did not cash, but this person did cash. His name is Cody Daniels. Cody Daniels is uh, 
someone with a lot of health problems. He doesn't have cancer, but he has some very serious health problems that he described when he came on here. And he's constantly in and out of the hospital. In fact, he was in the hospital a few weeks ago and put into a medically induced coma because his issues were so serious. He ended up getting through it and he, he survived it. But this is a guy constantly going to the hospital over and over and over again. And he's just spent his entire adult life plus some of his teen years like this. So it's very sad. So he also got bought in to the main event through a fundraising drive, the same one that Mercer had. The Mercer originally put his own GoFundMe, but Nick Vertucci of Hustler Casino Live kind of brought attention to these two people, and that's how they got all their donations, or most of the donations. So Cody Daniels was legitimate, and he really had the condition he said he had, and there was no suspicion he was lying, whereas Rob Mercer, by August, everybody knew that he was almost surely lying. But anyway... Mercer had stolen $2,500 from Cody Daniels because since Daniels was making it deep into the main event, he and I finished in a very similar place. He cashed 30 k I cashed 32 k Cody Daniels felt so bad for Rob Mercer busting on day one, he offered to give him 10%, just a 10% free roll on whatever he cashes. And this is when Cody was doing well and likely to cash. So, of course, Rob said yes. And he ended up taking $2,500, which isn't exactly 10%, but he took the 2500 very fast and ran. So, of course, this was stolen because the only reason he was given this by Cody Daniels is Cody felt sorry for him as a fellow fairly young person who was suffering from life-threatening health conditions. And, of course, if Rob Mercer was not really suffering from stage 4 cancer, then Rob Mercer would not have gotten this donation from Cody Daniels. So he was given this 10%, or almost 10%, based upon a lie, and a lie which is told to get bought in in the first place. Overall, Rob Mercer stole about thirty to 50000 from all the different donations that rolled in. It wasn't just twelve five. So we had Cody Daniels on here, and he told his story, and he talked about the whole thing with Rob, how it unfolded. Well, Rob, for whatever reason, and I don't know why he did this, he decided that he's going to send a text to Cody Daniels, whose number he had, because the two of them talked as kind of like comrades here, as guys who were uh, both playing the main event, who were bought in through the community, and both because they are very sick at a relatively young age. So Rob had Cody's number, and out of the blue, Rob texted Cody, and he admitted that he was lying about the cancer. Why? I don't know. Very surprising. I didn't expect that to happen. I thought that after the long explanation, the rambling explanation he gave to somebody who posted it up on Twitter and it got laughed at, he was basically laughed out of the room like, you've got to be kidding us. We're not going to believe this. Like None of this makes any sense. That I thought he took his one shot to convince the community. Nobody bought it. And he realized he was fucked as far as his rep here permanently. And knowing he did scam, he was just going to ride off to the sunset and disappear. In fact, he even said that, that he's just going to leave the community and that's that. He wanted everyone to feel guilty, which is stupid. But that's what I thought was going to happen. But that is not what happened. What actually happened was he told Cody Daniels that he did it. 
So it's really shocking. You usually don't see this. Now, he didn't completely just admit he was a scammer. He just admitted he lied about a lot of things. But of course, he's a big scammer. So let me give you the update here. So I'm going to read this to you. And remember, he writes very poorly, Rob Mercer. So if some of this doesn't make sense, then that's why. But this is what he wrote. Hey, Cody, it's Rob. I heard about your health declining, and I wanted to reach out to see how you were doing. And I wanted to be honest about some things, because I don't want anything to happen to you or me without you knowing the whole true story. And this is it. And I hope you truly understand why I did what I did. Over a year ago, I did get COVID. And after that, I did continue to get sick, and I started developing lumps under my skin in my chest area. They weren't really painful, but it made me scared. And my nipples started to leak blood over a couple of months. And I lost about 20 pounds in a month. So I got really scared and decided to go to the doctor to get checked out. He had uh, bleeding nipples, everybody. He had COVID and then somehow he had bleeding nipples. Blood came out of his nipples. Then he lost 20 pounds and then went to go to the doctor to get checked out. When I went for my appointment, I walked in and sat down and saw all these people who looked really sick and had family with them, and they were really upset and looked defeated, and inside of me, a panic came over me and a pit in my stomach, and I said, no, I can't do this, and I walked out and never went through with any appointments or seeing anyone for what was going on. So he decided that even though blood's rushing out of his nipples and he's got lumps in his chest area, because he sees other sick people at the doctor's office... He just left. (laughs) And not because he was afraid of them getting him further sick. He just thought it was depressing. But what does he think he's going to see at the doctor's office? People in the epitome of health? Like You go to the doctor because you're sick. (laughs) What is he talking about? Oh, they're in really bad shape. Well, yes. Yes, people go to the doctor when there's something wrong with them. If you're feeling great, unless it's a checkup, you're not going to the doctor. That's a dumb thing to even write. But, like, why would that even matter? Like, why would he go leave? How would that make him any better? How would that help him heal to leave? Like, yeah, going to the doctor when you think there's something wrong with you is not a fun experience. You're preparing that you're going to hear something bad. But seeing other people who are sick, I mean, what, he just learning that other people in the world get sick? I, I don't get that. But anyway, going on here. So he walked out, then he writes... I went home and started deep searching my symptoms and everything my body had been doing over the past couple of months, and it all led to male breast cancer. Okay, hold on a second. So instead of going to a real doctor to have his chest looked at and to describe the symptoms and get a diagnosis and maybe have some tests prescribed so they can determine what's going on here, he decides to go home and do a deep search on the internet So he, with no training at all, and the guy can't even write a sentence, that he's going to be the one determining what ailment he has. (laughs) Now, there's nothing wrong with kind of sanity checking a diagnosis you get if you're doubtful that maybe the doctor got it wrong. But, But he didn't get a diagnosis. He just ran out of there. Oh, my God, sick people. Sick people in a doctor's office. No, I didn't expect to find this here. No, I need to get out of here. Oh, oh, oh boy. Oh, boy. Okay, that was, that was, that was kind of harrowing. That was kind of scary. Sick people in the doctor's office. Okay. I still got blood coming out of my nipples. 
I could go to the doctor again, or I know. Why don't I just search on the internet for many, many, many hours every day? Yeah, I'll do that. So he said it all led to male breast cancer. All the symptoms lined up with late-stage male breast cancer. And as you can imagine, I got really depressed and upset and just shut myself off from the whole world over the next few months. I continued to lose weight and developing pain all over my body, but I never wanted to set foot in the doctor's room again. I was too scared to be told by a doctor I was dying, which at this point is how I truly felt physically and mentally. Okay, let me stop here. Uh, You can look at pictures of Rob Mercer. He's a pretty overweight guy. So wait a minute, he's losing all this weight and he's still really fat? Like, what did he start off as, like 700 pounds? (laughs) You won't believe it, guys. I went from 450 pounds to 380 pounds. And I thought, my God, I'm anorexic. Look at me. I'm skin and bones. What's next? I'll be under 350 pounds? Oh, I hope not. <laughs> so then he goes on to write, this is all to Cody Daniels. Remember, this is not public. This is sent to Cody Daniels. This is in like mid-September. So then he writes, my whole family knows that it's probably male breast cancer and have been urging me to do something to get help and do some kind of treatment, but I said I don't want to do treatment. They couldn't understand why, but I knew if I told them deep down inside me, I actually felt like I wanted to die and get it over with. I've been battling crippling depression my entire adult life, and as bad as that sounds, it could be my way out. I told my day 10 years ago that I was going to die young. I don't know my day, but I think it means my dad. That I was going to die young, and I've always felt that I don't know why I feel like I wasted my entire adult life because of my depression. Never been married and no kids, and I always wanted those things, but it just never happened for me. Well, yes, Rob, that it does kind of suck. You're 37, you didn't accomplish much, and you didn't get married and don't have kids. On the bright side, you are such a good-looking guy, you are so magnetic to women that sitting in a casino, porn stars approach you, tell you that you make them horny, and that they want to have sex with you for free. Rob, I'm 14 years older than you. I've been in casinos for a long time. I've never once had a girl approach me at the casino, let alone a porn star, and just say she wants to go off and have sex with me. Unless it was a prostitute. I've had those. I didn't say yes, but they approached me many times. But I've never had a girl who's not a prostitute just approach me randomly in a casino and tell me she wants to go and have sex with me because she's horny. So you have that over me, Rob. So that sounds pretty good, right? And by the way, what's this whole thing like you wasted your life, you didn't get married, and have no kids? You're 37. You don't have a biological clock. So you, you weren't like 70 looking back on your life going, oh my God, I never had kids. I never got married. Like I wish I did. It's too late to start that. Now. No, you're 37. <laughs> what are you talking about? I had my first kid older than 37. But anyway, let's go on here. When the whole GoFundMe campaign came up, my dad said, you've always wanted to play the World Series of Poker main event, so you should see if people can help you. And when I decided to do it, I wasn't even thinking about having to tell thousands of people that I most likely have male breast cancer. What do you mean you weren't thinking about it? You started to GoFundMe <laughs> saying, I have cancer, donate money to me. What do you mean you weren't thinking about what are you going to tell them? That's exactly what the whole GoFundMe is. So in panic... I told everyone I had colon cancer out of fear of being made fun of or trolled for being a man with breast cancer. 
<laughs> yeah, if there's anything people make fun of is a guy with breast cancer. Like, why is that something people will laugh at? Are they going to say you're a woman? Oh, Rob, you have breast cancer? Oh, you're going to lift up your skirt too? Rob, are you wearing a tampon right now? Are you wearing panties, Rob, because you have breast cancer? You girly girl. Like, what the hell? Yes, male breast cancer is far less common than female breast cancer, but it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's just a medical condition. You didn't do anything to cause it, if that's what you have. No one's going to bully you on poker Twitter. Oh, look at the male with breast cancer. <laughs> what people are going to do is go, oh, that's awful. I'm sorry. That really sucks that you're one of the few males to get that. But that's his explanation, that he lied about the type of cancer he had because he was afraid of being trolled. But hold on a second. That still means he knows he has cancer, right? But so far, he hasn't explained how he knows it other than in his heart. Let's go on and listen to the rest of this explanation to Cody Daniels. I know what I did was wrong, and I should have had the courage to tell the truth from the beginning and not fear what others will think. But as a man, it's just too hard to admit to my friends and family, let alone an entire community of people. I shouldn't have lied, and I knew I shouldn't have, but I guess in my mind I knew I was really extremely sick, and I guess I justified it because of that. I'm not a bad person. I'm not a scammer. I'm human. I made a lot of mistakes, but my intentions was never to hurt anyone. In my mind, I feel like I'm dying, and I want to do this one thing before it happens. Truthfully, I don't know how much time I actually have. Could be months, could be a year or more. But my body is getting worse as time goes by, and whatever happens going forward, I'm okay with. Obviously, deactivating my social media stuff was a bad move. That is, like, he deleted his Twitter and his Instagram after this is exposed about him being a scammer. And makes me look like a guilty person, which you are. And in hindsight, I'm guilty of lying about what kind of illness I have and grifting a diagnosis. But everything else I said is how it really happened. Everything else he said is what happened, except he said he had stage four terminal colon cancer and did not have that. And he said he received a cancer diagnosis and did not get that. And he got money, 30000 plus, based upon having terminal cancer, which he did not have. But aside from that, he was salt of the earth honest. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? At this point, I don't care about being part of the poker community going forward. Regardless, because look how they've portrayed me. Oh, yeah, that, that's the poker community's fault for portraying him this way. <laughs> look how they portrayed me. I understand I brought a lot of it on myself, but not coming clean sooner, and I am sorry if you thought I played you. This is, of course, the Cody and the 2500 thing. And I'm sorry I lied to you. I truly consider you a brother and wanted the best experience for you during all this as much as I wanted it for myself. I am praying for you to get out of the hospital and get home to your family. Take care, man. I'm sure you'll share this with people, and that's fine. I understand. So he actually gave permission at the end to post this, which then Cody Daniels did. And then he sent it to Snoop Dogg, who posted it up on his own Twitter. Well, that's a lot to unpack. <laughs> I mean, talk about bullshit. Talk about complete bullshit. Well, at this point... He admitted that he had lied about this cancer. He admitted that he had lied about any kind of cancer diagnosis. Notice he said that he just knows he has breast cancer, but no one ever tested it to prove he did. 
He just thinks because his nipples were bleeding, <laughs> it means he has male breast cancer. He just decided this with uh, no medical training and no tests to confirm it. So just because he decided he thinks he has male breast cancer, that's the same as having diagnosed stage 4 terminal colon cancer in his mind. But still, even though he admitted that he lied, and even if he thinks he didn't scam, he did scam. Because he was given that money for the exact reason of having stage 4 terminal cancer, not, I'm guessing I might have breast cancer. So it was a lie and a scam. But, you know, while it was an interesting story... While it was a scandal, we have a lot of interesting stories and scandals in poker, and they don't make the mainstream media. Even the most interesting ones don't. Every once in a while, something will, like the Robbie Jade Lou Jack Forehand, but the vast, vast majority of poker scams and poker scandals and poker stories that have some kind of controversial element to them do not make the mainstream media. But this one did. You know why? Because Rob Mercer was not just dumb enough to send that to Cody Daniels. When it was brought to the Las Vegas Review-Journal reporter, who originally did a profile on Rob Mercer and the battle with cancer and how he got bought into the main event. So there was a Review-Journal article about him that was positive before it was suspected that he was scamming. So people obviously brought this back to the Review-Journal saying, hey, this was a scam. So the Review-Journal called up Rob Mercer, and this idiot actually gave an interview with the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Wow. That's a huge difference from just admitting something to someone you know from Twitter. The stuff he admitted to Cody Daniels is interesting to me, probably interesting to you, it's probably interesting to anyone who pays attention to poker Twitter. But beyond that, it's just not going to get much play. Because we're a niche community. But once you do an interview with a major newspaper, and the Las Vegas Review-Journal is probably the biggest newspaper in Las Vegas, so it's a major newspaper. Once you do an interview with them and admit basically the same thing as you did to Cody Daniels, you admit that you lied about a terminal cancer diagnosis to get bought into the World Series of Poker main event, and even if you make excuses for why you did it or why it's okay, once you do an interview with a major newspaper and you admit to what you've admitted to, what ends up happening is that other outlets can now pick it up and quote that newspaper. So it's not just in Las Vegas. Any mainstream news source that thinks this is an interesting story, which it is, now can print it without any fear of any kind of lawsuit. Because all of these other outlets just have to quote the Review Journal. They'll say, Rob Mercer lied about having colon cancer, lied about being terminal, lied about having a cancer diagnosis, and claims that he just has undiagnosed male breast cancer when he's justifying having a GoFundMe to raise over $30,000 from the poker community so he can play a poker tournament, according to the Las Vegas Review Journal. And if these other mainstream news sources put in that last line of according to the Las Vegas Review Journal, then they are in the clear as far as any legal liability for printing something that may not be true because it just goes back to the Las Vegas Review Journal. So you have the Las Vegas Review Journal, which can print this because Rob himself admitted this to the reporter that he did it. And then you have these 
other outlets, these other mainstream outlets, which are more mainstream and bigger than the Las Vegas Review-Journal, they're reprinting the story or retelling the story and linking back to the Review-Journal saying that, well, they did the research. Go, go check out what they wrote. Or according to the Las Vegas Review-Journal, this or that. So this allowed the story to blow up huge everywhere. And I had a lot of people sending me this story thinking that maybe I hadn't heard of it. Of course, not people in poker, but people that I know in my life who know I play poker were sending me this story because just regular people were seeing it. In fact, my girlfriend saw it. And she asked, she knew I had been covering this, but she asked if I had seen these articles. So she just ran into these articles reading the mainstream news. I didn't tell her to go look for it. So that was incredibly stupid to go to the Las Vegas Review-Journal or let them come to him, whatever, and admit all this. It's one thing to admit it to Cody Daniels, but to admit it to a Review-Journal reporter? So this could become a major national story, and people, when they Google Rob Mercer now, there will be major news publications profiling that he lied about cancer to get a buy-in to a poker tournament? I mean, this guy's name is Mud forever now. So here's some quotes that he gave to the Las Vegas Review-Journal. I did lie about having colon cancer. I don't have colon cancer. I used that to cover my situation. What I did was wrong. I shouldn't have told people I have colon cancer. I did that just as a spur-of-the-moment thing when someone asked me what kind of cancer I had. No, you didn't. You started a whole GoFundMe for yourself. I am sorry for not being honest about what my situation was. If I would have done that from day one, who knows what would have happened. And then they quoted GoFundMe because GoFundMe refunded everybody who had given to Rob. They couldn't take it back from Rob because Rob is broke. But GoFundMe just ate it. And before you feel sorry for GoFundMe, there are tons of scams and semi-scams on GoFundMe. And they collect a commission on all of these. That's how they make their money. Every dollar donated, they take a commission. So, yeah, every once in a while when there's a verified scam that's high profile enough to where they want it to kind of go away, then they refund everybody out of their own pocket. But it's a drop in the bucket compared to all the scam money that passes through that site. So don't praise GoFundMe here. They just uh, are doing the absolute minimum. So, yeah, he admitted the whole thing, and then they basically wrote the whole story about Snoop Dogg, about Nick Fertucci, about Cody Daniels, and they interviewed everybody involving this. They also quoted Mercer saying, they're making me out to be some kind of monster, like this vindictive villain who planned this months in advance. It's just crazy, but I understand, I get it. Oh, that's nice, you get it. You planned it at least as of June 17th, you planned it at least weeks in advance. Maybe it was spur of the moment on June 17th, but the main event wasn't until July. So, yeah, you planned it in advance. You didn't just offhandedly say to somebody while you're standing at the registration line for the World Series, oh, you know, I, I have colon cancer, and then someone gives you 10K before you can really think about saying no. I mean, that would be wrong, too. But this one was premeditated by at least weeks, probably a lot more than that. He also claimed that he spends... 18 hours per day in bed because he's so sick. But maybe what he means is that he spends 18 hours per day in bed with porn stars. <laughs> but he didn't come off sick at all when he was at the World Series of Poker. I mean, ignoring the fake porn star story, he was gambling at the pits. 
He just didn't seem like someone who was barely getting by at the World Series main event and then going up to his room to rest. He, he didn't come off as a sick person. People noticed that, too. At the end of the article, he was quoted saying, At the end of the day, I lied to a lot of people because I was scared to tell the truth, and I guess I'll have to pay for that. But in case you think this is a sympathetic article, it's not. It was pretty well laid out by David Schoen at the Las Vegas Review-Journal, and it was pretty clear from Schoen's coverage that this is just all bullshit. So the reader comes away understanding that this really was just a scam. So it also says in the article, he has no plans to repay the money since he believes he has undiagnosed breast cancer and the donations were made because he was sick. (laughs) So how can he come off sympathetic in the article? It's not like he's even saying but not meaning that he's going to return the money one day when he makes it. At least there it sounds like he's kind of promising to do it even if he never goes through with it. But here he's saying, nope, no, I don't need to give back the money. So it's not like he's saying, okay, I'll refund the money if I get it one day. If I ever make this amount of money back, I'll refund it. I'm sorry, I lied. I'll I'll give it back at some point. Even if he never does. It's not even like he's promising that. He's saying, oh, no, I don't have to give it back because I didn't really lie. You know, I kind of lied, but but I said I was sick. And that's kind of equivalent to cancer, right? Like, I know I'm really sick. So, yeah, sick, terminal cancer, what's the difference? Like, I, I got money for being sick, so... Yeah, they thought I was sicker than I actually am, but yeah, they don't deserve the money back. No, no. Like, that's the point he's making in the article. It just comes off awful. So, this is a fascinating story, and this would never be covered in the mainstream media if it wasn't for Mercer going to the Las Vegas Review-Journal. If he did not talk to them, if he just has no comment, or doesn't answer their phone calls, or says, I'm just not going to be interviewed, then they're probably not going to do the article. Because then they would have to trust that the Cody Daniels messages are real. And even if the reporter believes they're real, like they don't know Cody. They don't want to print that and then be legally liable if it turned out Cody fabricated the whole thing. I'm not saying he did. He obviously didn't. But like they have to know with certainty at the newspaper before printing something like that. And they can't just do that based upon some text messages someone claims they got. So had he not talked to Las Vegas Review Journal, then this would not have become a big story in the mainstream media, but it did. So it went from like a poker story to a mainstream media story, and it was all Rob's fault. So it appeared on TMZ. It appeared on Yahoo. It appeared on USA Today. It appeared on NBC. So I'm going to play you some TV reports where it appeared. This is from local Los Angeles media. Listen to this. This is on KTLA Channel 5 in Los Angeles. Gnosis, so he could raise money to play in a tournament. 37-year-old Rob Mercer admitted to lying about having stage 4 colon cancer to raise money to enter the World Series of Poker in Las Vegas. He raised more than $12,000, including on GoFundMe, and received perks, including a free suite at the Bellagio. During the event, the lie was exposed after Mercer was seen gambling after being eliminated from the tournament. However, Mercer now says he has no intention of repaying the donations because he believes he has undiagnosed breast cancer. (laughs) According to the Vegas Review, GoFundMe has notified those who've donated to Mercer via their website that they will be refunded. I like the end of this. He says he has undiagnosed breast cancer. 
Like, even the reporter can't keep a straight face. Listen to that again. Because he believes he has undiagnosed breast cancer. (laughs) Okay, now here's a longer clip that was NBC Bay Area. So this is the San Francisco Bay Area story on the matter. Of course, he's from Northern California, as is Snoop Dogg. And Snoop Dogg was interviewed here. Now, Rob Mercer wasn't interviewed, but everybody else was, who was a main player in this. So let's listen to this. Pretending to have cancer to get sympathy and money. Those are the accusations against an amateur poker player from Vallejo. It's left the poker community angry and hurt, as NBC Bay Area's Jody Hernandez reports. Poker players helped the man raise tens of thousands of dollars, funding his way into the Super Bowl of poker in Las Vegas. Who would lie about having stage four colon cancer? Amateur poker player Doug Pascal Jr. says he can't believe a man the poker community rallied to support duped them. That's Snoop Dogg, by the way. After learning about a Vallejo man who claimed to have terminal colon cancer, Pascal convinced some social media influencers and fellow poker players to share his story. Let me introduce you to Rob Mercer. Supporters shared Rob Mercer's GoFundMe and held telethons, raising enough cash to send him and another man with a terminal illness to the Super Bowl of Poker, the World Series of Poker main event in Las Vegas. I really, truly believe there isn't someone more upset about it than I am. 29-year-old Cody Daniels, who has been battling a life-threatening illness that requires a feeding tube, says it was his lifelong dream to play in the tournament. He was happy to share the experience with Mercer and even donated $2,500 of his winnings to the man. But something didn't quite add up. The only word that comes to mind is just sad. It's just sad. This week, he says Mercer confessed in a text message he lied, claiming he actually thinks he has breast cancer but hasn't been diagnosed. He sent that full confession to me saying, look, I'm sorry I did it. I own up to it. And I think I have undiagnosed breast cancer as opposed to colon cancer. GoFundMe has pledged to repay everyone, but many people like Pascal donated privately. He says Mercer may be great at bluffing, but he's no longer welcome at the poker table any longer. It's just sad. Like, it's it's truly sad that he'd use cancer as a guise to get all that money, you know, because we've all been affected by someone with cancer. We tried to reach out to Mercer, but he did not reply. Jody Hernandez, NBC Bay Area News. (laughs) Pretty good report there. So this is only happening because of the Las Vegas Review-Journal. He doesn't do that interview with them. None of that's reported. So I wondered, like, why? Why did he do it? Why did he send the confession to Cody And why did he do this interview with the Review Journal? Some people said he just wants attention. That for some people, negative attention is better than no attention. I don't agree. If you remember when I read you his initial rambling explanation on the show we did about this about a month ago, he was begging people at the end not to contact his family or friends because they, quote, already know he has cancer, but they don't want to be harassed by people that think he's a scammer. So he was basically saying, even if you think I'm a scammer, please don't bother anyone that knows me and tell them about this. because They already know it, guys. So just don't bother them. So he clearly put that in there because he didn't want anyone 
from his non-poker life to find out about this, to find out that he ran a cancer scam to get bought in to a poker tournament. So this is not somebody who wanted it blasted everywhere that he's a scammer. And who would want that? Like, this is not something that you would want to be known for. I don't care if you enjoy negative attention. Like, lying about having cancer really infuriates people. Especially lying about having cancer so you could get bought into a poker tournament. So, there's no way he wants to be world famous for this. So then why did he do it? Well, I don't think the guy's very bright. Just from everything I've observed of him, he just is not very smart. Not only can't he write, but he's just not very smart. So I think this dummy actually thought that maybe he could manipulate Cody Daniels into feeling sorry for him. He probably thought, okay, Cody is sick. Cody doesn't have cancer, but Cody is very sick. Cody is constantly going to the hospital. So maybe if he writes to Cody and says, okay, I didn't have diagnosed colon cancer, but I think I have breast cancer and whatever it is, I'm just really sick, just like you are. I have a different condition than you and I don't have colon cancer, but I'm just really sick and it's just really, really tough to live this way and I spend all day in bed and I just think I'm going to be dead very soon and I'm just, I can't bring myself to have the doctor tell me you have cancer. So that's the only reason I haven't gone through with trying to treat this or diagnose it but i know i've got it cody and you know just like you we're, we're the same we're both so sick we're, we both are gonna die young and i think he was hoping that cody would say oh okay i understand okay well you know what you may not actually have colon cancer but i understand you just didn't want to admit you had breast cancer you didn't think it was masculine but you're you're sick just like me maybe he thought that cody would defend him i don't think he cared about cody disliking him. I think he was hoping that if he won over Cody, that Cody, who was uh, very well-liked and well-regarded in the poker community, he was maybe hoping that Cody would come back out to people and say, look, guys, let's, let's cut him a break. Let's cut Rob Mercer some slack here because the guy's very sick. Yeah, he lied about his condition, but just because he was ashamed of having breast cancer. So come on, guys. I mean, have a heart here. I'm sick. He's sick. Come on. Let's just look past this because he really was a sick guy who got sent to the World Series. Now, Cody did not do this. Cody saw right through it that it was bullshit and sent it over to Snoop Dogg and says, can you believe this? <laughs> this fucking guy here basically admitting and confessing that he lied about the whole thing. We, we don't have to suspect it anymore. We know for sure he's admitting it. That's what Cody did, which is what any rational, reasonable human being would do. But I think that's what this idiot Mercer thought he was doing. He thought he was manipulating an actual sick person into feeling bad for him for supposedly also being a very sick person. And of course, that didn't work because Cody Daniels saw right through it. I think that's what he did there. But why would he talk to the Review Journal at that point? Well, first of all, I don't think he was smart enough to realize that this would blow up in the way it did. I'm sure he didn't think about the fact that TMZ and Yahoo and USA Today will then quote Las Vegas Review Journal, and it'll be all over the place. Maybe he thought at worst it'll be an article in the local Vegas paper, and he's probably thinking, okay, I just won't go back to Vegas, or not for a while, and you know, who cares? Who cares what they think of me in Vegas? I don't live in Vegas. I'm never going to live in Vegas, so fuck it. Like, that was probably his belief. And again, he probably thought that maybe by going to the Review Journal and explaining his situation and explaining why this wasn't as bad as it looks, that an article will be written kind of defending him. Because even though the tone of the article was very anti-Rob Mercer, 
Rob didn't know that at the time he went to the reporter. So maybe the reporter was very friendly with him in order to squeeze these quotes out of him and this information out of him. And then the article was negative. So I doubt the reporter got on the phone with him and said, hey, Rob, you big scammer, you big piece of shit. Go ahead. Tell me what your excuse is. I don't think that's the way he did it. I think he said, okay, you know, what would you like to tell us, Rob? And then Rob's like, yeah, you know, I have blood coming out of my nipples. I just knew I had breast cancer and I just couldn't bring myself to hear the doctor say it. And I really am sick. You got to understand. Yeah, I lied about the part of the colon cancer, but it was just out of shame. So, yeah, you got to understand. Then probably the review journal reporter's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. I get it. Yeah, you know, really, I just, I, they gave me the money because they knew I had major health problems. It was a little bit of a different problem than what they thought, but I'm still really sick. I'm still probably going to die soon. And, you know, they're, they're believing I'm an awful person. And yeah, I made a mistake by not being completely honest, but I just want everyone to know I'm really sick. And the reporter's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I get it. I get it. <laughs> he's like just scribbling all this shit down. And he's like, oh boy, I'm going to slam this guy hard in the article. He's like, he doesn't realize it yet. So it's got to be something like that. He thought he was clearing his name first through Cody and then through the Las Vegas Review Journal, and then all that happened was they just reported the way it really was, that he's a liar and a scammer. So I'm sure he's not happy about this. I'm sure he's very, very unhappy. And by the way, he's still missing from social media. So if he was looking to capitalize on this, be like a a bad guy, be like the evil guy that people can't help but follow, then he would have jumped onto social media and tried to build a following based upon what he did. I'll tell you somebody who's very active on social media that was once really, really, really vilified by the mainstream media and hated by a lot of people. And that was Martin Shkreli. Remember him? He had that pharmaceutical company that raised the price for a pill that was once really cheap. I forgot which condition that they were treating, maybe diabetes or whatever it was. There was some condition, major condition that this pill was treating and he raised the price by like an insane amount and then defended it. And then he ended up going to jail for something unrelated. But he was like public enemy number one for a while. But if you look at his Twitter now, he has a lot of fans. Like most of the responses to him on Twitter are positive. He kind of cultivated this personality for himself, this kind of rebellious personality of this quirky guy who's just kind of a capitalist and not a terrible dude. That's the personality he kind of tried to put out to the public. And it worked. So while a lot of his original critics still don't like him, he's got a lot of fans too, Martin Screlly. In fact, he's been covering the whole SBF situation with that FTX collapse. He's been aggressively covering that. Like, like he's the honest one covering uh, SBF. So it's, it's kind of funny seeing him do that. But he really turned around the perception of him, not by everybody, but at least like he can interact on social media and people are responding to him positively. Now, he's not talking about the whole situation that got him famous in the first place or infamous in the first place, but that's somebody who really seemed to love the attention he was getting, even though it was all negative. And he thrived upon that. But Rob Mercer is not doing that. He's still hiding. So if he really wanted to be the bad boy of Twitter who faked cancer to get a poker buy-in, like, he could play that role. He could just come, oh, yeah, I did it. I wanted to play. Yeah, I'm a great poker player. And, you know, whatever it takes, it takes, man, you know? Like, yeah, I got it. I said I had terminal cancer. I didn't really have it. But, you know, big deal. I, I, I'm I, sick, you know? I'm sick. And technically, that's why they gave me the money. So I wanted to play. And I played. 
If you don't like that, too bad. Like, he could have taken that attitude. He would have gotten some trolls, but it would have gotten him a lot of followers, a lot of people, like, hanging on his words, what he's going to say next. He didn't do any of that. He's not taking advantage of this at all. So that, that's not someone who enjoys negative attention. I think he's just stupid. He didn't realize what was going to happen. So I don't think we're going to hear from him further, because this has all backfired so tremendously. So while the people who donated to him, who didn't do it through GoFundMe, never got a refund, and won't get a refund, you can at least say that Rob Mercer's name is mud for the rest of time. Anytime anyone Googles him going forward, they're going to see this. And not just people that he tries to work for, or friends he makes, or girls he tries to date, but also even people who are in his family or associated with his family that Google him and see this. So he's gonna, this is going to be dogging him his entire life. So that's good. That's a good thing. Anyway, GoFundMe got a lot of praise here from Poker. I, I just kept trying to explain people. I kept trying to explain that GoFundMe is a very, very greedy and ethical company. You cannot call them. You cannot have a conversation with them. It's like third world people answering support emails in a very simplistic way. They don't really understand what you're trying to explain to them. They're not trained well. They're not empowered. And that site is so full of scams and so full of grift and so full of like stories which on the very surface might be true, but then the person tells a million lies along with it to get the money. So they don't care if they're going to eat something on a large story that makes national news. That's basically what it takes for them to refund. Now, someone defended them saying, well, they started the refunds before this made the national news. But, you know, it's because at that point, there was verification that he had directly lied. So they basically do this to cover their ass. If it looks very certain that the person lied in order to get the GoFundMe donations, then GoFundMe will just kick it back. They'll try to send a bill to that person or try to charge any credit card they put down, but usually they can't collect it. Usually scammers are broke or they've made themselves uncollectible. So they're not usually going to get the money from the perpetrator. The small amount of money that they are losing here refunding this campaign is a drop of the bucket compared to what they make from all these other campaigns, including the scammy ones. I really don't like GoFundMe. In fact, I think they should have stricter rules. I said this before when Jamie did her GoFundMe. They need to have stricter rules when people are asking for money based upon some kind of medical diagnosis. They should be required to send in documents that GoFundMe staff reviews. And yeah, there will be forgery, blah, blah, blah. But they can put some pretty scary language in there. I certify under penalty of perjury that these are documents are true and correct. And we will prosecute those who use our platform who in order to defraud the public, blah, blah, blah. Like that is what they need to do there. But they don't want to because it requires effort. And they're actually happy the scams are happening because that's how they make a lot of their money. As long as the publicized scams are few and far between, then they're okay with occasionally refunding a scam campaign. In fact, it can make them look good. Hey, look at us. We can't recover the money from the scammer. We're going to pay you guys anyway. Makes them look nice. Makes them look responsible. But if they were responsible, they would prevent this in the first place. And they're not lifting a finger to do so. And the problem is... 
as I learned myself with Jamie LaFay, it is very hard to question a medical GoFundMe without really getting attacked. Because human nature is to feel sorry for these people, to feel sorry with these people of these terrible health conditions. And how dare you question them? Because what if they really have it and now you're calling them a liar and you're trying to humiliate them in public that they're lying? Well, what if they're really sick? Then you're an awful person to do that. So that's the problem. Most people just don't want to do it because they know the pushback they'll get. So that's why it's a perfect scam. And Rob Mercer knew that. I don't think we'll hear any more from him. I think at this point he'll ride off into the sunset. Pretty sure he's broke. And he pretty much chunked off all the money there in Vegas. So he's not going to make off with this money. But at the same time, at least he's not coming back. And at least his name is forever associated with this. I'm getting tired. I'm going to do one more small topic. And then we're going to shut this down. We'll do the rest in part two. The Rio Las Vegas is no longer a Caesars property. It was bought in 2019. So it has not been owned by Caesars for a long time. But very recently, it changed to not operate as a Caesars property, which is really what makes the big difference to the customer. Because the customer doesn't really think about who owns what casino. All they care about is what rewards program it's part of and how it operates. That's all they care about. They don't care about the ownership. But finally, the Rio is no longer operating as a Caesars property. So in 2019, they were bought by Dreamscape Companies LLC, which didn't previously own any casinos. And then it was leased back to Caesars for the next four years. And in fact, the World Series of Poker continued to run there through 2021. It finally moved to Paris and Bally's, which is now called Horseshoe, in 2022. Rio continued to operate as a Caesars property, and all of the Caesars rewards benefits applied there. And your comp rooms would be associated with what you would get for being whatever level member you are. I don't mean tier level necessarily, but just whatever your play has been would determine what comps you do or don't get at Rio, just like they do with the other Caesars properties in Vegas. So it's just operating just like a Caesars property as if Caesars still owned it because it was being leased. This was originally in the plans, and the lease had options for various years. So it wasn't originally planned it was going to be four years, but it also had that option open. But October 2nd, 2023 was announced in September as the magic date that everything was going to switch and that it was going to completely stop being part of the Caesars empire and the Caesars reward card would no longer be good there. In fact, you would not even maintain whatever tiers you had at the Rio as a Caesars rewards member. You'd have to start off new and then earn your way up with the new program. Now, remember, the new program is an independent program because Dreamscape did not own any other casinos. So here's an email they sent out to everybody whose address they had associated with Rio or even to Caesars Properties in Vegas. This is sent to consumers. We are writing to inform you of an upcoming change to the management of Rio Las Vegas. 
On October 2nd, 2023, property management responsibilities will transfer from Caesars Entertainment to Dreamscape Companies for the Rio Las Vegas. You can look forward to a new loyalty program called Rio Rewards at the Rio Las Vegas, as well as your continued Caesars Rewards loyalty program at all Caesars Entertainment Resorts in Las Vegas. Caesars Entertainment and Dreamscape Companies are working together to ensure a seamless transition for you. Our goal is to keep you fully informed throughout the coming months. Below are a few aspects of the transition as they relate to the loyalty programs. Your Caesars Rewards card and balances are still valid at Caesars Rewards properties, including the Caesars Rewards properties located Center Strip in Las Vegas. Your Caesars Rewards benefits and others remain unchanged and will still be honored at all Caesars Rewards properties. Well, that's stupid. Like, why wouldn't they be? (laughs) This is the real changing hands. Caesars Rewards balances, including great gift wrap-up points, reward credits, tier credits, tier score, and tier status will not transfer to Rio Rewards. That's a big thing there. They're just putting a little bullet point. That's a huge thing that there's absolutely no kind of transfer of status, which sometimes they will do. They will match the status of the other property just to try to keep the same customers. They're saying, nope, we're not doing that. You, You start over from scratch. We don't care how high you are. Rio will continue to honor select marketing offers such as room, casino play, and dining credits. That's all they're doing is that it's kind of like a case-by-case basis that if they have some whales that they notice at Rio that were getting offers, that they want to try to bring those whales back in. Because why not? They have a casino. They want to get people playing there. So they're saying that they will offer select matches to former offers that were sent to people for the Rio. They're not saying all of them. They're they're not saying how they're going to determine it. Just certain offers they will honor. However, it also says, Rio will not honor Caesars Rewards tier benefits or entertainment offers. So anything related to entertainment, like free show tickets, anything that's related to tier benefits like, hey, I'm a Caesars Diamond. I want this. I want that. They'll say, nope. You don't get that here. Rest assured that Rio Las Vegas will continue to uphold its exceptional standard of service for many years to come. (laughs) Uh, What? Nothing about the Rio service was exceptional. Unless you want to say exceptionally poor. (laughs) So... They shouldn't say that. They should say, rest assured that Rio Las Vegas is going to cease operating as kind of a dump. We're actually putting money into renovating it, and we're going to hire a lot of people to make sure the service is greatly improved. So whatever you've come to hate about the Rio in recent years, it's going to turn around and be a good place to visit. That's what they should have written. I don't know if that's true, but if that is true, they should have written that. Don't say, we're going to keep up our exceptional service. Like, what, what are they talking about? Holes in the walls they don't fix? One maintenance man working the whole place? Getting Legionnaire's disease from the ice machine? Is that the exceptional service they're talking about? Like, why put that? Everybody knows the Rio doesn't have exceptional service. Maybe many, many, many years ago they did, but not any time recently. Please visit the website to receive up-to-date information regarding the transition, to review frequently asked questions, or to contact us. Look out for more announcements and information related to the transition coming soon. I don't know what they think they're doing over there. I don't understand 
when companies spend a lot of money to buy into Vegas at failed properties that are old and beat up, that are known to be old and kind of crappy, and also in bad locations. These are all going to fail. They're never going to work. People do not want to go to retread properties that are in a bad location and that they already kind of made their mind up about many years ago. The Rio's never going to be cool again. The Rio's never going to be a destination for anyone except for those who want to get a cheap room in Vegas. Same thing with this stupid Virgin slash Mohegan Sun Hotel and Casino. That's another one that never is going to have a chance to succeed and indeed is a fail. You go there and it's empty. The Mohegan Sun tribe, they, they wanted to get into Vegas, so they took it over. This was the former Hard Rock, by the way. And the confusing thing is the Mirage is going to be a Hard Rock because that's currently owned by the Seminole tribe. So that's going to be a Hard Rock. And the old Hard Rock is a combination Virgin and Mohican Sun. At least the Mirage is Center Strip. That's going to have a fight on its hands too as far as convincing people that it's an upscale resort again. But at least it's got a good location. But who's going to go behind the Strip to Virgin Hotel slash Mohegan and who's going to go to the Rio west of the Strip when the Rio has been known as a place that has been going downhill for many years and everything that was loved about it was stripped out of it. Even if they put that stuff back, it's too late. It lost its luster. It lost its rep. So I don't know what they think they're doing here. Remember when the Sahara became SLS and back to Sahara? That was never going to work either. Sahara was known as an old school property that was nice a long time ago, but then became a lower-end property in an area that was not very good. So just renovating it and slapping a new name on it was not going to get people to come over there. You're not going to get high-end clientele in a bad area of town by renovating a hotel which is the opposite of high-end. So it's so obvious a lot of these are going to fail. Now, something like Resorts World, that was more of a question mark because it is kind of out there. It's not center strip by any means, but at least it was a ground-up casino and very large and people were going to form a new opinion of it whatever that opinion may be but when something already has a degraded opinion of it because it went downhill for many years and it has a bad location no one's going to go there no matter how cool you try to brand it but this dreamscape company wanted to get into the las vegas casino market so that's a mistake i keep seeing where some companies are so hot to be part of the las vegas action They'll just make dumb decisions and dumb purchases, thinking that, well, you own any casino, it's going to print money. And that's not necessarily true, because there's a lot of expenses. So, it's not a smart purchase to buy a failing casino, unless you really have a strong plan to turn it around, and one that you know will work. I was actually saying to Brandon tonight, that I wish they would hire someone like me or him to give our impression of these new projects. Because it's not very hard to predict. I'm not claiming to be the only one in Vegas who can say this. Anyone who is well familiar with the gambling industry, with 
the Las Vegas casino scene and with the public's impression of various properties and whether these impressions are likely to change, and also just the general perception of the areas that they're going to be in, you have to just consult these people and you'll get the same answer from all of them, or at least all but a few. And that is, don't do it, it's going to lose money. You're never going to save this unless you just want it to be like a low-end option where you don't spend much money, but you don't charge much money. But Dreamscape, they're dreaming. It's a good name for them. Because it is pretty much a dreamscape. It's a dream that this is going to be a bustling, successful casino. And it's never going to be. It's going to be a big fail, and I can promise you that. I'd be shocked if it's anything else. Okay, well, that's it. We didn't do many topics because we had some long topics. But, you know, we've been on a while. Been on a good uh, almost three hours. I mean, it's not shorter than usual, but as I said, I got up early yesterday, so I'm tired. I've been up getting close to 24 hours, so I just don't have the energy to continue. I'm sorry about that, but we did knock out some big topics here. The topics that I will be covering in part two are all the ones that we did not get to. These include the Rachel Whetstone story, which is very interesting about money stolen from her backer. She may even come on here. I hope she does. Bart Hansen's tragic story about his dog being killed by a scammy trainer. Mojave Desert in Las Vegas history from Clark County School District. The Treasure Island bartender accused of stealing from the resort. The roulette ball in the eye. And the player who was banned for hitting a jackpot at a casino. That's a lot of topics, actually. (laughs) How many is that? That's more than I thought there were. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, that's a lot of topics for a second part, but they won't be as long as the ones I did tonight. There have a few kind of long ones in there, but I will tackle them when I have a bit more energy. Anyway, thank you for listening to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Hope you enjoyed this uh, shorter show. It's kind of a part one of the full agenda. To all scammers out there, let me tell you what you should never do. That is, delete your social media. Unless you're just willing to concede that you're guilty and everyone's going to think you're guilty. If that's your goal and you just want to cover up anything else being found about your life, then you by all means do it. But if you think removing your social media or privating your social media is going to convince people that maybe you're innocent, you're totally wrong. As soon as you do that, everyone knows you're guilty. In all my years in poker and gambling, I've never seen once where someone's accused of scamming and then they delete or private their social media and it turns out they're innocent. That just never happens. So in the few times when someone's accused of being a scammer and they're really not, usually it's them loudly protesting it and saying... No, that's false. No, that person's lying. No, they're exaggerating. Or there's more to the story. Let me tell it to you. What they don't do is hide and delete their social media. Because that's what guilty people do. It makes you look guilty. I never understood that reaction. Now, if you just want to hide and run away from the whole thing, like, I just don't want to deal with this. I'll just let everyone think I'm guilty, because I am, and... Since I'll never convince anyone, screw it. I just don't want to talk.
talk to anyone from poker anymore. Okay, fine. That makes more sense. But just privating your social media is never going to accomplish anyone giving you the benefit of the doubt. So even if you are a scammer, I hate to give advice to scammers, but even if you are a scammer, just face the damn music. Admit you scammed. Privating your social media, delete your social media, it might as well be you putting, for all the internet to see, I am a scammer, here's the proof, I'm deleting my social media. Just a little tip for you scammers out there who might listen to the show. All right, within a few days, we'll do part two. Try to get this in the archive as soon as I can. Shalom! Shalom!